Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. American Freedom Radio. It's the Opperman Report. Join digital forensic investigator and PI Ed Opperman for an in-depth discussion of conspiracy theories. Strategy of New World Order Resistance, high-profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator. Okay, welcome to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator, Ed Opperman, and this show is brought to you by emailrevealer.com. Uh, you can go to emailrevealer.com, get an autographed copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. Uh, also, all kind of asset searches, locates, uh, criminal background checks, um, oh, any kind of uh, PI work you need at uh, emailrevealer.com. If you like today's show, uh, check out the members section at oppermanreport.com. I got some big stuff going on. Uh, we just uh, loaded up a show with uh, A.J. Weberman, uh, who's author of the book, Coup d'Etat in America. And he just came out with a new book called uh, Jerry Did It. And it's about Jerry Fleming and uh, AJ's uh, friendship with Jerry Fleming, who turns out to be one of the JFK assassins. Uh, also, too, I got another show I just put up there just minutes ago. Uh, I don't even know what the title is, but it's with this woman, Kimberly. And she has this whole theory about her, how her father and her uncle uh, were involved in, in not just the Zodiac killings, but also to the escape from Alcatraz. Uh, so that's some fascinating stuff. And she just contacted me, too, uh, to tell me that uh, uh, the cops down there are doing some DNA work on it to see if they can match it to the Zodiac. So that's some could be some breaking news. That could be a could be a big could be a big deal. Today, we got uh, Kenny Kenji Gallo, a fascinating guy. Uh, and we're talking about his book, uh, Break Shot, A Life in the 21st Century American Mafia. Uh, he's got a blog called... Uh, Breakshot, Breakshot blog, and also, too, uh, another one called uh, uh, BetterLivedLives.com. Uh, fascinating guy, Kenny Kenji Gallo, former organized crime uh, figure, porn, drugs, pretty much uh, an average week here at the Opera Report. So, Kenny, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Ken, what can you tell us about yourself? Who is Kenny Gallo? Well, who, well, we'll, talk, we'll refer to who I was. Um, uh, I was, you know, born in the 1968, so I uh, grew up in Southern California. I mostly grew up in Orange County, California, 
And at an early age, about 13, I became involved with um, organized crime members that were connected to the Medellin cartel. And um, I started uh, transporting things for them at a young age. I helped, uh, I helped them transport. I helped them hide uh, cocaine back in the days. I knew Griseldo Trio Blanco. They made a movie about her cocaine cowboys. Um, went to a party with her for a birthday party for her son, danced with her. I mean, it's like, you know. And the whole time I was there, I always looked up to um, some of these other guys, which were LCN guys. They were always different. They were looked up to be different. And LCN is La Costa Nostra, in case you went to know it's the traditional uh, mafia, Italian mafia. And um, I became, I decided that's what I wanted to be, even though I'm uh, half Japanese. I decided that I wanted to be one of them, and uh, I started working towards that. I uh, learned how to to, to uh, work, be, be a bookmaker and a drug dealer um, early, about 13 or 14 years old, and um, just I just kept working on it. And, then, and before long, I connected. I hooked up with uh, Los Angeles Crime Family, which at the time was um, a little bit of turmoil, and then, and then later on got taken over by Peter Milano. And his brother Carmine, Peter became the boss, and Carmen, uh, Carmen became the uh, underboss. And I was with uh, Captain and Street Boss of the family, um, Jimmy Kaji, uh, Dominic Vincent Kaji, actually. And uh, I worked up from there, and I went all around the country. Went through my escapades in Las Vegas, and then uh, in around 1990. By 1998, I, I um, got connected. Well, I already knew some Colombo guys anyway. I knew other guys. And I ended up uh, transferring to Brooklyn, New York. And uh, I started running with the Colombo family. Um, I got hooked up uh, in a crew with Teddy Persico Jr., who's the, the nephew of the boss, Alley Boy, and the, the, well, the nephew of the boss, Carmine, and the cousin of Alley Boy, who's this. Uh, Teddy's dad is Teddy. Teddy Persico was Teddy Persico Senior, who was one of the Carmine's capos in the Colombo family. And so, once I became involved with them, then I was doing all kinds of stuff. And um, I ended up wearing a wire for the FBI starting in 1996 for eight years. And uh, I recorded them all. I put about 60 people away, and people are still right now being sentenced for what I did. So that's. Then I changed my whole life and uh, made a new life for myself and left all that behind. So I pretty much wrote about it and continue to write about it and do new things to help other people, and that's what I do. Well, let me ask you this. Now, when you were 13 years old and you started getting involved in coke dealing and stuff like that, working for these, uh, uh, you mentioned the woman from the, the, the Cocaine Cowboys movie, right? Uh, yeah. Did, did you have any kind of arrests back in, in those days, like assaults, little yeah. assaults and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I had um, I had a assault, assault and battery, assault with a deadly weapon, I mean, probably like three or four, I think, back then. Okay, so you had a lot of small cases in in California. A lot of cases, yeah. Okay, and then uh, a, a really big question for me is because I'm from New York, you know, I live on the East Coast now. I'm in Vegas now. Uh, but what would yeah. make you motivate you to want to move from nice sunny California to Brooklyn, New York? Because if you're going to play, going to play baseball, you want to be in the major league. <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Okay, now um, the other thing too is now. Uh, how did you get involved in the porn business? When did, when did that come about? That was in between uh, uh, 81 and 98? It was in the coke dealing days. And what, what happened is, is I was always looking for things that, to launder money and to put money through and things that we can do to, and to diversify. Because I pretty much knew that 
eventually that ride's coming to an end. I mean, they were starting to crack down on people. The prices were dropping. I mean, it went from originally around $40,000 a kilo. And then I remember it was like 27000 And then at, at one point it was like 12000 And there was, there really wasn't the big money in it anymore because it, it, it was saturated and it wasn't going to be a chic drug anymore. And I had met a porn star when I, I worked at the gym. I had thought that he was a undercover cop because he was like trying to talk to me and stuff. And I was like, man, that guy looks like a fed. And then one of my friends came in and oh my God, oh my God, do you know who that is? And he told me. And then I started, I set up a friendship with the guy and he guy said he wanted to make his own movie. So I put up the 60 grand to make it in cash. And um, that's, and then what happened is he couldn't, he was beyond his ability to sell it. And so I called my friends. I got, you know, I had you know, a connection with organized crime. I knew them there. And I'm like, hey, can we introduce me to people? And then they started introducing me to people. And I was like, wow, I flipped it right away. And that was easy. And then I started getting other people's money. Like I got Colombian money, everyone to, to back these films. And then I would get them, make the film, pay everyone in cash and then sell to a company. And then that company would write me a check to one of my companies. And then I would disperse the fund. Gotcha. So you can turn all that cash into bank accounts. Yeah. Right. Basically you have all this cash. and There's nothing you can do with it. I mean, you just sit on it. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. I watch. I know, but I bet you wish you had that problem today, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> hey, that, those are the old days. You know what I mean? Like that—that's that, uh, you know, it's just. But you never you take it for granted because you're around it. It doesn't mean anything. It really, yeah. the money doesn't make you happy anyway. It doesn't it doesn't bring you anything. It's just uh, it's just a thing. It was just a thing for me to like put in bury in the ground and to put into safes and to put in safety deposit boxes and put in a storage unit eventually. You know? Yeah. So. And I'm curious now. You were getting the coke there on the West Coast, right? And then, how would you distribute it? Where were you selling it? Well, um, I got, I got, I would get cocaine. They would either drop it off to me, or um, we would actually go to pick some up in Mexico and then bring it back across. But um, what I would do is, I had a, I had a place and uh, I sell it in Hawaii, because I, I look Hawaii and I can get away with it. So I, back then, you got to remember there was no checks on the airplane. Right. Um, you could, you, you just couldn't check your baggage in because they, they wouldn't. You wouldn't get arrested for it. You could, they'd steal it. The baggage handlers would steal it. So I could carry like three to five kilos in my carry-on bag. And I just put stuff in there with like zippers and stuff like that. And that's all they'd really see. And then I would bring it and it would be sealed so it didn't smell. And then I would just bring it to the island. And there you could still get like uh, 40 or 50 grand per kilo for it. And um, I sold it all over Southern California. I sold it to uh, the Crips and uh, Mexican gangs that I had good contacts with. So that that was my main thing, you know. Where were you getting into Mexico? Um, we would go and we'd pick it up in Tijuana or down off of the Playas, which is the beaches out past Tijuana. Okay, so you had connections down in Tijuana. Okay, you'd bring up to California, then you'd get on a plane in California, and then you'd go to Hawaii and drop it off over there. So you had contacts in, in Hawaii? Who'd you, you made those through the yeah. org? How'd you make those contacts? Um, just through like surfing and other criminals in California, we already know them. And like I said, I look like them. And so they'd always send me before. Right. Like I go there and, quite, and go pick up money and then fly back all the time. See, back then you didn't need ID to fly on a plane. That's right. Remember? I remember. Yeah. So what I would do is, um, I would go to a travel agent and I would buy like a, a round trip ticket to Hawaii, say for, for tomorrow on Friday. And that would be, and I would leave in the morning and then I would, Go to a different travel agent. I buy another round trip with a returning ticket. Leaving, well, I'd say I buy it for someone in Hawaii, and they would be leaving Hawaii on Saturday. 
So I'd go there, drop it off, and then turn right back around and come back around to a different airplane. Right, and you didn't arouse any suspicion because you weren't there buying a ticket for cash at the airport. You had a round-trip ticket, and you had it through a travel agent, so it all looked cool. And it was under a fake name, too, because they didn't check your ID back in those days. Yeah, I had fake IDs anyway, but they didn't really check. You you could buy tickets in in the newspaper, I mean, you know, and just trade them with anyone. It didn't matter. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you could even buy and sell those tickets after you use them. That's right. And build up the Sky Miles. And you can even use that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so those are the days, man, but not anymore. Now you can't even yeah. go to the airport with a cup of coffee. You can't even bring a cup of coffee on the plane. <laughs> you know? That's right. They want to take you to jail yeah. for that. Now, what... this one time, one time I was, I was bringing, I had three kilos of Coke in a carry-on uh, thing, and I was I decided uh, someone needs a favor, and I need, they needed three keys in Aspen, Colorado, one day. So I left Orange County early in the morning. I had to be back by the nighttime because I had a, I had a dinner thing. I had to so I left Orange County. I get to I have to go to Denver Airport. I go to Denver Airport, and I'm waiting in line. They just had you know they had the metal detector, and all of a sudden the buzzers start going off. I'm the next in line. They're going off. Cops run up with the guns out. And I, I throw my hands up. I'm like, uh-oh, this is it. Yeah. You know, this is it for me. They grab the guy in front of me, and they slam him down. And they're like, you, move, 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 get away. And I'm like, okay. And I just walked right through. But he had, he had guns in his carrier. But it, it freaked me out. You know what I mean? Like, I was, like, freaked out. But I still made the trip. I made the delivery. That was, like, crazy. Okay, but now what about the first time you went through the x-ray machine? You weren't worried that they would see bags of Coke? No. No, it wasn't bags. It was a kilo. It was like bricks. Right. And then they didn't, they didn't know what they didn't know what they were looking for. The the, 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 the x-rays were really primitive back then. The operators were, you know, are just poorly trained and bad. They're mm-hmm. looking for something that looks like a bomb or an grenade or a gun. And how would you get the money back? Uh, I'd back it back on me again. Same thing. Okay. Right back. Uh-huh. Never, uh-huh. never leave it out. Never leave it out of your sight. But remember, yeah. I, I'm, I was really young then and, um, I don't fit the profile of a, like, I, I had a, I worked with a, an undercover cop or a cop, and uh, he was a dirty guy, and uh, he gave me the DEA reports on uh, what they look for to flag people in airports, using the payphone, looking nervous, sunglasses, you know, tattoos, you know, et cetera, like paying cash for tickets. So I already knew. So I'd carry a backpack with a bunch of books, um, really I'd just sit there and read my book and uh, dress nice, you know, not, not overly nice, but just nice. And do my thing, and I just don't look, I don't fit the profile of the traffic. And, and how old were you? Uh, that, I think my first time to Hawaii, I was 17 when I did that. 17 years old. And how old were you when you started getting involved in a porn? Uh, right around probably 1920, right around that. Oh, man, you must have been having a ball then. Forget it, right? Well, uh, <laughs> see, back then, because I went to a military school, to all-boys boarding school. Right. So... You can, you know, magazines go around. And then the next thing I know is I'm, like, on the set, and I'm actually, I'm paying these people, and there's girls that I recognize from, like, Playboy, Penthouse. You know what I mean? Like, like I know them. Yeah. Like, I'm right there. I'm meeting them in person. So, yeah, it was, like, a crazy, crazy life at that point. It was, it seemed like it was all good. Yeah, it must have been like a kid in a candy store. It was. Now, let me ask you a question now. What was uh, the case that caused you to turn... And start informing on your your uh, former friends. Well, it wasn't. The thing is, this I didn't have like one case. It was like I lived this life, and like like uh, Jerry, uh, there was a there was an undercover cop that I was close with, and we used to like 
rip off people and I would give him information and then he would give me information to keep me in business and we used to get a lot of coke, made a lot of money together. And then I got busted and I remember that Jerry... Hey guys, I got a great new deal for you. It's called Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. Now I want you to take out a pen and paper and write down Opperman 50, O-P-P-E-R-M-A-N 50. Now, fact is, delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes, you'll be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian-approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan veggie, and more. Uh, there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. Snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. And every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or schedule your deliveries anytime. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. Now head to factormeals.com front slash opperman50 and then you use code opperman50 to get 50% off. That's code opperman50 at factormeals.com front slash opperman50. O-P-P-E-R-M-A-N 50 to get 50% off. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Like, I asked him, I, I asked him, like, I want to know, like, how bad, you know, like, how bad they had me. Like, hung up on, like, you're hot, man, you're hot. He hung up on me when I was like, wow. That was my first case uh, where people didn't, like, didn't stick with you, you know? And then, like, it happened a bunch of times. Like, I got arrested for extortion. I got arrested for kidnapping. And every time um, I had to, I paid, you know, the lawyer bills. I did, I did what I had to do. I had to keep up making money and doing everything. And people were, weren't helping me out. And I was like, oh, man, I kind of started to see that. And then um, I was in uh, in Vegas in the 90s. And Carmen, I mean, uh, Pete, Milano, and everyone, we were trying to get stuff started in Vegas. We are trying to revamp the family. Like, they made some new guys. They brought us some new blood. And they were trying to do it. So um, I was with Jimmy Koch, and we were active. And Jimmy ended up getting uh, arrested on, on another case. And bail got revoked. And when, when they did, then a bunch of guys like, uh, 
another capo in the family and a couple guys from Vegas tried to take like something that I was doing, like my, my operation and try to take money away. From me. And at one point I wanted to fight them. And then, uh, and Jimmy's like, no, just, just let it go. Let it go. And, uh, ended up letting it, letting it go, which was good because it ended up being, it turned into this big, uh, operation, then press operation button down in Vegas where they, um, where they took them down for like travelers checks and all this other stuff. And, um, they got me on one charge of mail fraud on that indictment. And I was planning on fighting it because I figured, even though I had never been off probation, parole, or in custody, or out on bail, on bond, since I was 13 years old, basically. The whole time I'd been on, on paper, you know what I mean? Always right. in trouble. And I didn't know, I, I was like, just like, I figured I would get like a year and a day for the mail fraud, really, basically, what I was looking at. And, um, what, what happened is then Herbie Blitzstein got killed and um, in Vegas. And it was, Blitzstein was a, a loan shark and used to be with the Chicago outfit. He was with Tony Spilatro. And he, he was a good guy. And um, the feds turned the whole case into like a mob case. And it really wasn't. It was about uh, two, two uh, federal informers actually um, owed him a lot of money. And they, they're the ones that pushed for it. Like I was at a meeting at a uh, Blueberry Hill restaurant in Henderson where I was with that Stevie Sino, who was a LA mob guy, and then I was with a couple other guys, and those guys were pushing uh, to do something to Herbie, and um, Stevie said no in no no circumstances. And I, at that point, I was the go-between between Jimmy Kachi, Stevie, and the rest of the group because Jimmy was in custody, but I could visit him at Terminal Island, so I would come back and bring messages to everyone, and I had the attorney that could have. Uh, private meetings with him and then the attorney would, I would tell the attorney to give him a slip of paper tell him what to say and then he would come back and give me an answer so I already knew what was going on I knew that they had no authorization for it and then Herbie got killed and so um, I had I was in Rhode Island at the time and the, uh, said a guy named Charlie called me and he said he was an FBI agent and, and uh, he had gone to uh, at that point my ex-wife's grandmother's house and given her my card and I'm like well if he's FBI, why would he go there in Vegas when he could just go to California to my porn shop? They know where I'm at. You know what I mean? They arrested me. They know me. And uh, I ended up calling Charlie back. And uh, they said that we want to see you. And I'm like, well, let me call the FBI office. Um, where, where are you at? And then I called the FBI office. And then they, I, they put me through the switchboard to him. And it was him. And uh, I said, I'll meet you, you know, in California. So they made a meeting at a deli. And uh, Kaplan's Deli in Costa Mesa, and I went. I went there like two weeks after I got back, and they told me, "Look, man, you, you got. We have a weak case against you. We probably got you, but you're going to end up being killed on the street, or you're going to get like 100 years. We're going to get you eventually on this one, on, on something." And they're like, "You know, we watch you all the time. You you uh, you work hard. You get up early. Don't drink. You don't party. You're just trying to make money." Um, and then they said, we want you to do some of this. And I'm like, I'm not really interested. What, 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 what do I get out of it? And then they said, uh, well, the only thing we can promise you is a fresh start. And uh, I thought about it for a few minutes, and that was basically what I was looking for. And that was my way out, and it was over for me. And uh, I wanted a fresh start. I just wanted to be a, a different person, you know? So, How old were you? They, at that point, I think I was like 28 years old. 28 years old. He's still a kid. Now, you didn't go and, and t when you started getting these cards at your mother-in-law's house, you didn't call up your lawyer right away and say, hey, you know, what do you think? No, because my lawyer is uh, right. was connected to everyone else. Yeah. 
And uh, he actually, he was in, at this point too. He was already in trouble. He was like already had to go before a grand jury for another case that we he got involved in in California, and he was about to go down anyway. So it, it ended up another weird situation. But he he you know it ended up uh, actually good that I didn't. Um, plus, it would just cost me money. That's probably probably the main reason. You know what I mean? Like it would have I would have had to pay him again and again and again and again. Like I just like was always paying these guys. Um, but you had to be sitting on a good chunk of money, right? Yeah, but like every single time, it's like, I mean, I pay him like, you know, $60,000 here, $40,000 yeah. here, you know what I mean? Always money, 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 money. And you, and I know that, you know, look, now I know that they, are, they you know, they do their work. You know, people, they get, you get paid what you deserve. Yeah. And it is work for me. But you kind of resent that, you know what I mean? Like you're just paying, 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 and you don't really see that. And sometimes, like, he wouldn't call me right back, and I would get really mad. <laughs> right, so, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you know, I just, like, I, I just, like, resented it. Like, he opened a restaurant for his daughter, and, like, you know, uh, dude, I know I pay for it. Come on. I know. Like, oh, yeah. He's like, you could come and have free food. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> but that, so that's kind of what I was thinking, and then I got, the first thing I told him was, like, I don't want to rat on my friends. I, wasn't, I didn't want to wear a wire against Jimmy Koch and everything, and they're like, look, uh, we don't really care about them. What we really care about is you travel all across the country. You go to all these different places. You go to New York, you go to Rhode Island, you go to Ohio, you go to Cleveland, Ohio, you go to Chicago, you go uh, all these different places, Pittsburgh, and you meet with all these guys. We want, an, we want intelligence. And I said, well, how long is this going to last? And they said, six months to a year top. And I go, all right, I'll do it. And, um, it kind of like, I kind of felt like, I don't know, man, sick, didn't know what I was doing. And then I just like started, I started traveling and they were just taking, taking intelligence at first. And then it just like, it just morphed. Once I got to, once I got to, uh, to New York, they started to ask me, well, we want you to meet with this guy again and this guy. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then a year went by and I was like, well, I thought it was just going to be a year. And they were like, okay, we're going to do it for this much longer. And then another year went by and it ended up being eight years. Now, were they paying your expenses and paying for your travel and all this kind of stuff? Well, at first they weren't. <laughs> and I was pretty, I was paying out of pocket for all this. And that's what I mean. They're like, like, especially in New York, because, you know, like you're going out all the time. Right. Okay. And I'm going out with other wise guys and we're going to expensive places. Like we're out of Mr. Child's all the time when we're out like $2,500 a meal, like, you know, we're out, bang. And, you know, we were going places, going to the ball game, we're doing this, or, there, or guys are out gambling all night, and I'm there, and then I got to give them money, and then uh, maybe I'll get repaid, maybe I won't timely, you know what I mean? So it's, it's like a lot. And uh, that's why I was like, and plus I was getting real burned out. Just being, like, once you're done with the life, and you just like, you just like, can't, like, I was already trying to mentally move on, and I was like, oh man, I can't hang out with these scumbags anymore. They mm -hmm. talk about the same thing. And like, I have nothing like, you know, like the main thing with the FBI too is like, I can't commit violence, no violence, nothing, no violence. And it's hard to live in that world where, you know what I mean? Like you got to, in a heartbeat, if you're around sharks, man, and they, someone attacks you, you, you got to respond right back. I mean, you have to, you can't be, you can't be a mark. You can't, you know, and it was real hard, you know, for me not to like, crack some heads and stuff like that. So it was, um, so the FBI started paying you. How much a month were they paying you? Um, they pay expenses. So 
So it would, it would depend. I wouldn't get a monthly payment. They would, uh, they would pay for like, they started paying cause I was paying, I was carrying the expense of paying for California and New York, the places where I lived. And they started paying that and then they paid me travel money and then they would reimburse me for like dinners, but it never came like, like, don't think like, Oh, every week or every month I got them. It would be like, all right, nothing. And then more, you know, like in a lump sum, maybe a month later, two months, the government moves up, you know? So that's it. And then like, I had to turn in like from the bookmaking and stuff. I had to turn in all the, money, you know? So I would get, I would get enough cause I had money from my porn shop and I had money from other things. So I would get enough to pay my bill, but it wasn't like, but I just figured that was the beginning and the end of my, of me winding down. You know what I mean? Like I, I thought, and rightly so. I mean, I'm glad I did this. Cause I pretty much figured that, you know, I'm going to have to figure out alternative ways of making money in the future. And I'm going to have to have some skills. I had never worked a job ever in my whole life. I had, the, I had a job when I was 13 as a, a kitchen help at the restaurant where I got hooked up with a Colombian and that lasted for like three months. Uh, really only one month of working and the two months was on the payroll and the rest of it was dealing drugs. So I didn't have any real, I mean, I'd been on paper at a bunch of jobs, but I never really worked. I never did. Never. But, but back to working for the feds though, uh, did they make a deal for you? Like where you can still go out and, and deal a little bit of drugs here and there and keep that money, but just make some cases for us. And, uh, and no. if, if you get pulled over any kind of trouble, you give us our card and, and we'll get you out of it. No, nothing like that, huh? I, no, I, I, and in fact, I wasn't not dealing drugs at all. I hadn't dealt drugs since the early 90s, but I didn't, uh, I wasn't allowed to. I, the bookmaking money, I had to uh, turn over, um, all that. The only things I, if I lost, I mean, if I had lost, I had to pay those back to the people. But no, I had to actually, um, no criminal money. I mean, the money I got to keep was like my own money wow. from my businesses. Yeah, I mean, I got... No, and, and no, no card. And, uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, I never got in trouble. I wasn't like the kind of, per- I don't, I don't drink alcohol. I don't take drugs. Right. Um, I don't cause problems. Um, like I would never get pulled over for anything. I think the whole thing in my whole life, I got like maybe, I think I got a ticket for talking on the phone one time and then, uh, I never got a speed ticket. Um, none of that stuff. Like I'm always really really, really, really careful to, like, fly under the radar. You know what I mean? Just yeah, I know it. what you mean, yeah. But, but now, like, now, because you run this other uh, blog here called Breakshot, right? And I, I know you, you talk about a lot of cases that are going on today and stuff. Uh, so you must be familiar with guys who have these kind of deals where, you know, they're they they you know they, they, they're allowed to pretty much do whatever they want, and then they set people up, and they even get a percentage of, of the money that the cops take in uh, or DEA cases – when they bust, if there's like a million dollars there, they'll get, they'll get like a percentage of that money. You've seen those yeah, deals. They get, 20, they, they get 25% of all seizable assets. Yeah, right. How come you didn't work on a deal like that? Yeah. You know what, dude? I was just, at that point, I was just happy to like. You didn't know any better, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, well, no, you know, I, I knew because yeah. I was actually talking to another guy. Uh, and later on, I got hooked up with a, a guy named Anthony Giada, who we used to be in the LA and he gave me the inside scoop. A bunch of guys, a couple guys did. But it it was like I already made my deal and I just wanted to honor it and then get done with it. I never believed that it was going to last that long or yeah. go that far, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? Like I thought it was just going to be like a quick thing and be done with it. No, eight years is insane. Has, do you know anybody else that's worked on the cover for eight years? No, Donnie Brasco, like seven, right? I mean, yeah. it was it was like, I just like wore the wire, wore the wire, and uh, 
I, I mean, look at they at the end of it. They they took care of me, man. They moved me. They gave me a, a, a new new identity. They uh, did everything. I mean, they they kept their promise with me. Okay, hundred percent. And I have I can't say it, but I know I know a lot of other people, and I know of a lot of people that 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 have gotten those other deals, but they're out still committing crimes and they're doing this. And that is like, and that's like the whole seizure thing to me is, 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 uh, not, not good. It's not good. Cause you they like, I can see when the guy's blatantly dealing drugs, the money comes from it. But when they're like taking people's money that are like barely attached, people's like, dude, it's, come on, it's wrong. You know, it. it's wrong. You can't take someone's house when the family is in it and the money didn't, the majority of the money didn't come from the guy's operation. It's crazy. Yeah, and and then they seize you know the cars and stuff like that, and then you see the DEA agents driving around in those cars. Driving them, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who's the real crooks here? But now you're saying that when you yeah. were undercover, that you had other friends that were also working undercover. Like, and how'd you? How do you strike? No, 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 no not undercover. No, they, they like I had one friend that that um at, that had already flipped. Um, he was um. He was an LA made LA guy, and he was from Boston originally. He's what? So there's like the, there's like the major the, the the major thing about if anyone anyone wants to know about the LA mafia, they can read Jimmy Fadiano's book. He was like the first informant called the Last Mafioso. Then there's Anthony Chiotto came right after Jimmy Fadiano, and he did the Animal in Hollywood, and then that takes it up to like my time period, and then I'm pretty much the end. So those three books covered. They span the LA mob, the same people basically, and so I got a hold of Anthony Piatto through a mutual friend, maybe an ex FBI agent, and um, he, me and him started talking, and he just came became like my mentor, like to become a straight guy because he had already made the transition. But no one else knew that I was undercover. I mean, there's like three. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. FBI total. Um, my nickname, I mean, my, my code name was Breakshot, which is the name of my book. Um... Like, I've met agents afterwards, like, years later um, in L.A., and uh, one of them said, like, someone introduced me, and they're like, yeah, he worked undercover in the mob. He's like, no, he didn't. I'm on the, I'm on the organized crime thing. He must be lying. They asked me, he goes, what, what was your, who was your agent? I told him my, my, uh, my handler, my case agent, and he's like, oh, yeah, I know him. And then he goes, what was your code? I go, break shot. He goes, oh, my God, I didn't break shot. I didn't know it was you. So that's how much they keep it secret. Hey, so when you mentioned this guy, the animal, is that the same guy that Nicole Brown's sister was dating? Yeah. Yes, yes. And the, and see, this is funny because I lived in Newport Beach. Um, 
I lived in Newport Beach in, in a in a, a, a apartment complex. It's a luxury apartment complex, and her sister lived there. Nicole Brown's sister lived there. And when one time the organized crime squad came to my house and they said Anthony Seattle is in town, he's going to do this. You better not threaten him. You guys better have nothing to do with him. And I and then like a couple years later, then I was talking to Anthony, and we were we were laughing about that. That they had come and warned. Hey, what do you know about um, uh, O.J. being involved in any kind of coke dealing up in California? O.J. and his friends up there and Joey Epolito and that kind of stuff. You know anything about that? Well, I knew Joey Epolito. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I know I knew Joey Epolito. Uh, I knew, uh, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd seen A.C. Callies around porn girls. Um, I went to school with O.J.'s kid. I went to the Army-Navy Academy. Um, and uh, and uh, my girlfriend uh, at the time, her her mom's best friend was Betsy, who is, uh, who was, uh, Nicole's sister's friend. Down, was right, you know, live right next door to him down there in Monarch Bay. But, um, I know that like, uh, OG was involved in co-dealing. It was, it, there was users. So, AC was a user. AC used to do some stuff for, for, for Joey, I believe. I can't say for sure because I wasn't there, but I mean, Joey Epolito was a co-dealer. Um, he was, he was in, in prison with a couple of my friends. And, uh, I mean, I have a picture of him and Jimmy Coonan and other guys together. Jimmy Coonan was the boss of the West from prison. And um, Joey was a big speedboat guy and, and big into it and moved a lot of weight, well-respected. So, but the, the, the theory of, of this, and this is what everyone gets, it's the mafia kills. The mafia doesn't kill people like that, and they don't make it look like someone else killed them. It's a straight-out hit. That's it. Go, you kill someone you know. And they're not going to kill two people, a woman especially. There's no purse. There's no. There's no gain. There's nothing to gain. Um, cartel might do that, but not not the mafia. Okay, but not. It wasn't. You kind of mumbled there for a bit. You're saying that you have no information of OJ being involved in coke, or you do have information? Yeah. No, I have no information of OJ being involved in coke. But AC was because his girlfriend was caught with a duffel bag full of coke. Right. AC worked for Joey Polito. I heard. You know, okay. Back in the day, they used to. Go- they used to go to the restaurant, like, I used to know Ronnie and those guys, you know, that, that restaurant, Splash, you know, stuff. And they used to all go down there in Malibu. Okay. Now, um, well, how did you be, no, I, I was watching one of your documentaries today, okay? And uh, oh. the thing about um, how you got hooked up with uh, Teddy uh, Persico. Yeah. How, how did, because they, they picked you just because you had access to these porn girls? No, I um I already knew Colombo guys. Okay. I knew Colombo guys from from I lived in Florida. I lived in, in Fort Lauderdale. I met them, and I met a bunch of the young guys that were like doing pump and dump stock and stuff like that. Right. So I used to go and, and just I used to go hang out with them in New York and be with the porn girls and just like hang out and have fun. And then they would ask me to do things like, hey, you know, uh, we we got to throw this guy a beating, but he knows everyone. He just walk in the office. We'll pay you whatever. Just walk in smash him in the face, kick him and tell him this, this is what you get, you know? And so I would do it because, you know, didn't really care. And, uh, I also used to, to go, they, they were having a war. They used to give me, uh, no one knew me. Cause I mean, I don't look like I'm from a definitely. If I hold my mouth, they don't look, I'm not from Brooklyn. So I would carry a backpack with guns and go to a restaurant or go to a place, a diner before they went like a half hour before yeah. and they're having a meeting and anything popped off and I could bring them out. So I got to know these guys, and then they introduced me to um, Eddie Garofolo, and then Eddie Garofolo brought me to the Columbos, 
uh, Persia goes. And Eddie was with Teddy and his crew, and then Teddy was in prison, but said that he I could be with him. So then they talked to um, Junior Persico, Carmine, and uh, Carmine, he was in Lompoc at that time, and he was friends with uh, some of the LA guys, and Jimmy and those guys said, yeah. And so I moved to I moved to Brooklyn. I went on record with them, and I moved to Brooklyn, being at Teddy's crew. But, but even still, you must have been making more money dealing coke in California than you were working for these guys in Brooklyn, right? Well, no, because I wasn't dealing coke in California. I quit dealing that in the 90s. I made more money from porn and, and gambling than I did for me now. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, porn is quick money. I mean, uh, coke was quick money, and it was like a big thing, but it, it's, not, it's not stable. Like, in and out, like this, skyrocketing and gambling make money. You're not, you don't have a product to sell. You're not out even when someone beats you for the money, you're not out like the physical product. All you're out is air. And, I mean, skyrocketing, of course, like when I'm loan sharking, I lose the money, I lost the capital. But if they pay enough of the interest, I'm not really out the money because the principal's already been paid back. Yeah, you're way ahead, yeah. The, yeah, the bookmaking, though, that's where the money is. That's why these huge casinos in Vegas, man, it's all money. It's, 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 it's fake money. It's sports bet. I mean, we come up with these teasers and these products. You're not going to win. All that money I get to keep. Even if even if I have a budget, as long as that dollars in my book, I get 10% dig on the money. So uh, a guy bets 100 on the Angels, and another, another guy bets 100 on the White Sox. I get $10 from each one, I get 20 bucks. See what I mean? Like, I made 10% dig. I make money no matter what. That was big money. That was, those were good money. That was money. And the porn, I mean, anytime you can shoot something and make it, it costs you like a buck twenty-five, and I can sell for like you know, at, the, at the highlight. I'm selling for forty-nine dollars, and then when I'm like at, at the end, I'm blowing them out at nine ninety-nine a piece. Uh, but you got to buy three at one time in cash and my store DVD. It still only cost me a buck twenty-five for DVD. And what made you get out of the porn business then? Well, because I was, I'm done. My life changed. I mean, I didn't want. I I was over that anyway. That that whole it's like you're living on people's misery. Yeah, it's a fight. It's uh, I mean, first of all, it's not a hard, it's not a victimless crime. All these all these girls are abused and have issues. They all grew up without a father. Most of them. Um, it's a dead end. They're never going to get out there. Is there is no happy endings in porn? None, none at all. You're going to end up on drugs because once you're done, like you're the flavor of the month, you're the flavor of the year, you're done. Now what do you do? You got all these movies out and you're notorious. You can't make any money. So what do you do? Be a prostitute. Um, you're, you're living off people's misery, and it just wasn't something that I, I, I wanted to do. And I, I didn't change my life. And it, it was already, like this. I don't like it's crazy, but I didn't mind robbing somebody or like shylocking somebody because you know, hey man, you're a grown adult. You took that money from. Me. But man, it's just like it got on my head. It got in my conscience over and over again. I didn't want to do it. And, like I was pushing away from that. Um, the only reason I kept doing it is because they kept access and the feds needed me to keep meeting with people. And that gave me a, a great thing to do. But I was just like, that's why I, I couldn't, it was hard for me to do it over for long and longer and longer periods because I was just over it. My head was there. Yeah, the, the, the whole porn thing's always been a big turnoff for me too. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, it, they're victims. You know, it's a victim situation. Yeah. And uh, I just had a girl, uh, she was on the show about a year ago, two years ago, uh, not even for her porn, but it turned out she was involved in porn. And uh, about six months after she was did the show, her mother contacts me and says she's missing. You know, we looked into it, and I I was convinced she was dead, man. I was convinced she was dead. Her car was dropped off at some motel, and it, she didn't go back to it for six months. And there was no, it was, we couldn't find hide in our hair of where this girl went. And thank God, just this week, 
she just contacted me and she's alive and she's out of the porn business and it's a porn name you'd know she's she did a lot of those big films you can google her name and find it but just uh thank god you know what i mean because for all this yeah. time i've been thinking she was dead so so thank god for that man now what how this how did you you, you get out of a um because you're, you're working undercover. What was the breaking point there that uh, you started, you know, you came, surfaced, and you started uh, testifying? Well, okay, here's in, in the book, and here's what I did. I, I, we need the place in, in the book. So what, what happened is, um, Teddy Prisco was out of prison for a while, and he would call me to his house. Like, he, see, he already break protocol, like, by hanging out with me and, like, talking to me. And it made a lot of people nervous because I knew a lot. So I worked with a company called at that point, uh, well, I worked for a, a digital uh, company. I don't even know if I could say it because it, I don't know if they've even got all the people clearly yet. But don't say it, it was like a stock fraud. It was like a stock fraud company. It was like a telephone company where they, they stole time. They sold time. Stole, they stole time, like digital time. They had all these servers and everything. And they would do like, like in the island of St. Martin, they would do, they'd handle like all these people's like long distance. And then they wouldn't pay the phone company. And it right. was like, and so I, I would I made a lot of money off that a month, but I didn't get to keep me that. It was fed, right? But they gave me a lot of money. They paid me a lot of money. I, I, I was part of overseeing it, and I worked with a couple other guys, guy, a guy named Manny Garofalo and some other people. And Teddy started asking me questions like, well, how much are you making? And I told him the truth. And, like, I, I, like to be honest, I really liked Teddy Persico, even though he's a, he's, a, he's a habitual criminal. He's bad news. He's, you know... He, he had, he's been convicted of, of ordering hits on people. I've been with him when he's going to do it. Um, he wasn't a bad guy. Like I actually liked Teddy. And so when he started asking me questions, I was burned out of being there. So I started telling him the truth. And then he goes, yeah, but like, you know, they tell me that they're not making, I'm like, look, dude, everyone there, this guy's got a Porsche Cayenne. This guy's got this. They have like four houses. How many houses do you have? Well, I got this place. They rent stick for you. And then they're like, yeah, but I got a Mercedes. I go, he goes $100,000. I go, please. They're paying the lease from the business. They're, they're writing off their taxes. People own that car. And then he's like, yeah, but I have interest in the parking lot. And I go, you don't. They're, they're this guy's wife's name. And you're getting $2,000 a week from the one parking lot and another 1500 from another one. They're getting equity money on it. They're going to sell those for big money someday, and you're not going to get anything. And like I was explaining to him, like, I go, the place where your truck lot is, that's owned by this guy's uncle in, on paper. It's his. They're making equities. You know what that is? And I'm explaining it to him. You know what I mean? Like, what's going on? He's been in prison for 20 years. So I started explaining to him. Then he started getting mad. <laughs> and uh, so me and, me and Teddy uh, were out to dinner one night, and then he got mad because another guy had talked about a bunch of smack. And so they were dropping, him and Eddie Garfield were dropping me off at, uh, at my place. And I started to walk out. And they go, get back in the truck. We got to go deal with something. And I, at first, my heart sank. I was like, man, I'm going. You know, I'm going to go. All I had is a knife on me. But they made me sit in the back of the car. I was sitting in front of the car. So this was good. I was in the back of the truck. And they're like, hey, we're going to, we're going to go to my mother's house. And we're going to go, we're going to get our, we're going to get tools and we're going to go deal with it. And then he starts calling up his brother. He's like, come, come to mom's house and bring the tools. Get, get Sean, get the other brother. And he starts start naming off names. Get the other kid. And then he looks at me and he goes, I was wearing a wire too, by the way. I was wearing actually two. They lasted for they lasted one lasted for thirteen hours, the other one lasted, lasted for nine. But I had them both on. They were rolling. And he goes, "We're going to go deal with this." And he goes, "This guy Craig, you know, he's he's just like me. 
but he's with a different crew and like you know we have some problems with him because he was on the other side during the war so we're going to go deal with this now you got a problem with that and i was like well no craig was my friend i used to go to the movies with him and he with him, but hey now i gotta go so we went to his mother's house um while i was at his mother's house his brother comes with a box of guns um they everyone takes a gun and um he looks to me and he goes grab a gun and i look and there's only a 38 left, but there's no shell. And he goes, well, can't you make him fit? And I go, dude, Teddy, I could put a, I could put a 38 and a 357, but I can't put a 357 and 38. It's not going to work. So he goes, all right, you got your knife. You can deal with anyone that runs this way. You're on the, you're on the house. When I take him down by the water, you can deal with it if they come running. And he tells his brother to go to the other side. And his brother starts telling him that the, the bullets are dirty. And then Teddy's like, what kind of, and he's freaked out. Says, what kind of gangster are you, man? You bring dirty bullets to the head. Gotta, and then we brother goes, I don't have any gloves. He goes, you. To the other guy, Kid Frank, you take off your socks, you drive, you clean. Like, use the socks as, mm-hmm. as, as gloves. So we went to this restaurant, he calls the guy up, and the guy, like, for some reason, he knew that he didn't want to be at Teddy's mother's house or the restaurant. So he says, we'll be in front of the restaurant. As we get there, I'm recording it all, and Teddy's like, yeah, you're being awful quiet. Well, I've been quiet I'm recording. But I'm like, don't worry about me. This guy process thing. So... We come over this little hill, and when we pull up, there is uh, a huge, like, cooking ladder, a paramedic, and two NYPD firefighters. They're bringing out a guy next to the restaurant, next door to the restaurant we're going to. He had a heart attack or something. So, like, in my mind, I'm convinced that, like, the feds really have a wire on me. Like, it's transmitting. They lied to me. Oh, they're, they're doing this. I'm thinking... Wow, I'm the luckiest person in the world. So we go there, and Teddy decides to hit off. So um, we go there, we talk to the guy, and Teddy goes, like, don't ever turn your back on Craig. Craig's a killer. So they said, don't ever turn your back on him. Everything should be smooth. But, you know, now he knows you're with us. And I'm like, oh, great. And that's, so that's how I ended the book. But in reality, is like about a month later, I got called to a sit-down by Manny Garofolo at a restaurant, at a diner. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I walked to this diner off the Bell Parkway. And I walk into this diner and they usher me to the part that's closed. And it's just me and Manny. And Manny's acting like real... Uh, upset and angry at me and he's like really like beefing with me and he starts yelling at me and he's like you told Teddy that I'm laundering money for you and I go no I didn't and he goes yeah you did so you told him I was laundering for you. I go no I didn't and uh, he's like you know he goes wipe that smile off your face or I'm going to smack you in the face and I go 
not for nothing, but if you smack me, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to knock out all your teeth. I'm going to knock you out. He goes, you'd raise your hands to me, and I'd go, you know, hurt. So, like, at that point, I made the decision, because that was, like, the, that's the end right there. Yeah. But I was so burnt out on being in this that I was like, screw you, and screw your threats. I don't care. I will knock you unconscious. And so I, like, I got up, and I started to walk out. He's like, you, I want you to get in the car with me and go to and go to the to the grout to the to the to the, tr- the truck depot, basically on this one part of Staten Island, right next to Fresco Landfill. No way, like six o'clock at night. I'm not going. So I walk outside the diner, and my truck is in between the diner and a abandoned uh, well, not abandoned, but just closed gas station. And parked by the gas station, I see this kid Frankie and another kid that I know are shooters with the Colombo family in, in a Honda, which I've never seen. I see them, like, behind it, in this car. And I'm like, okay, they're not, this isn't just, like, you know, coincidence. This is, like, for real, they're going to get me. And all I can think about is I got to get to my truck. I, I, I had a pistol underneath the seat. And I'm like, I'm, I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to shoot it out with these guys. I'm not going down. And my heart's beating so fast. And then Manny tried to pull his car in between me and my truck. And he tried to pull me into his car. And I'm like, no way. And uh, I I got loose. And uh, then I jumped. I opened the door. I had an automatic start in my car. And I started it. And I opened my door. And I reached that thing. And I was in an F-250 pickup truck. And there's just no way that anyone's going to stop me. Once I got in the Bell Parkway, I started going back to Manhattan. And uh, I, got a, I was going to Toronto, Canada. And I went... Um, on a, I left my car at the airport the next morning, and when I got to Canada, Manny, Manny called me, and I cussed him out and told him to screw off, and then Eddie called me. Eddie Carpool called me, and he wanted to know where I was at, so I was like, come on, I'm not stupid, so I gave him a completely different hotel downtown, and then the Fed called me right afterwards, and they're like, can they just ask me where you're at? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, did you tell him? I'm like, what, are you kidding me? And they were like, just hold tight. And so I ended up staying in Canada for three weeks, and then uh, they brought me back to that's how it is. I never went back. That was the end of it. Oh, boy. Listen, man. Before that, though, uh, was the FBI getting pissed off because you were getting Teddy uh, uh, Persco all, all riled up? Um, yeah. Well, they, yeah, they didn't want me to do it. But I, like, I just thought it was hurt, you know what I mean? Like, but I was, trying to, I was trying to burn it. You know, I was trying to blow it up, yeah. basically. Oof. Okay. Um, so now, and then, okay, they bring you back, and now you have to start testifying? You were, you were, did you testify in court? No. What I did is I, um, well, first of all, they bring me back and I spent about three weeks or four weeks in debriefing, um, various hotels like Washington, um, you know, different places. Sure. And, uh, the, the different, different agents from different squads would come like banana squad quick come, and they would show me all these pictures. And then I had to debrief and then the Colombo squad C38 would come and I would debrief with them, the Gambino squad. And then they would ask me about these things. And then, um, I would talk to the U S attorney and then they were like, okay, we're going to go to grand jury. So I would be dropped off and then have to, you know, I, they would bring me back and then I would do a grand jury, but I never had to testify against anyone because everyone ended up pleading out every single time. And, uh, you know, they, we went over it. I went over, I had to go listen to all the tapes. I had to transcribe every tape. Right. Now, thousands now, of hours of tape. You, you said you made about 60 cases. Do you know how many of those people flipped over and gave testimony? No, but I know like the one big one is um, well. See, I got Teddy, so I ended up getting Teddy for that. They got they got him away for the gun case. Then then he ended up he got like I think five years for that. He got out, and then 
they waited, and then they arrested Eddie Garofalo and his wife, Alicia. She's on the, uh, the show Mob Wives. Okay. They arrested Alicia Garofalo for the trucking business because they, they got the wire because I used to go to the trucking business all the time. So I recorded them all on. They were doing union fraud and everything else. Well, from that, there was a guy there named Steve Marcus, and he was Eddie's partner in Big R Trucking. Well, Steve flipped because of me. I recorded Steve and his son in crimes. And he flipped, and then he got Michael Persico and uh, Teddy on another case. And then they used the, the gun case and the, and the threats to kill this other guy that he wanted to kill, to, uh, uh, Craig Marino and another guy. They used that to get him on a racketeering and a murder, like a murder case. We ordered another murder because we had him on tape. And that, that just happened. And Michael Persico just, just uh, got sentenced, and he hasn't even been, he's not even in prison yet. And Alicia Garofalo just went, got sentenced last year. So it's been going on all this time since 2005. But, yeah, it went right up the Colombo family chain. Yeah, this, okay, yeah, this wasn't that long ago. This was like 2005. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. And um, so what, what do you do for a living now? What? What do you do for a living now? Hello? Yeah, can you hear me at all? Yeah, now I can hear you. Right, sorry okay, about that. What'd you say? Yeah, what do you do for a living now? Um, what, what I do now is I'm, I'm a writer. Um, I, I, write, uh, I wrote my book, Breakshot. I wrote screenplays in California. I'm a WGA, um, Writers Guild of America writer. I wrote a uh, screenplay that went to uh, History Channel. I sold a couple of them. Um, I sold my own story. Uh, and I, um, I'm a personal trainer. I train uh, top guys in boxing. I'm a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I'm a, I, work at the, I worked for a top boxing coach in the world. Uh, guys that train Ben Pacquiao and everyone. So I train world champions, actors, actresses. And then I moved to uh, a farm in Illinois and I train uh, soccer moms and I train people with Parkinson's. I do a thing called Rock Steady Boxing Program. I train Parkinson's. I use my knowledge to train them. And I, I'm an excellent street conditioning coach. So I do that to help them and I um, help out you know the community. That's what I do. I mean, I'm, uh, I really excel at training people and I'm good at it. And uh, I use it to help those people. And I have a gym. And I do. I love it. I love it. And then just I'm coming out with my second book. It's just uh, about how I became a Christian and how I changed my life and how anyone can change their life. I mean, I went from like I've been telling you, drug dealer, pornographer, to uh, I changed everything. I mean, I learned how to train people. I never had a job. I became a commodities broker. I learned how to train people. I learned how to fight in MMA. I got my black a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I fought MMA fights. I fought boxing and kickboxing, and I re—I just reinvented myself. Taught myself how to write, and um, I started putting out uh, the blog. Like my my other blog has an over a million people write, read it. Um, I'm you know I do documentaries. I travel. I do speaking engagements, and uh, now I, I'm working on my Christian stuff. And I just uh, try to motivate people, get people going, and like try to help those with Parkinson's and other people. And, uh, what I'm really doing, really concentrating on that. And my next book will be out next year. And I uh, help other authors. My, my co-author on Breakshot, Matt Randazzo, just wrote the, the Johnny Fado book. Uh, he was a, a guy that his dad was the boss of the Iowa family and was Al Capone in Chicago. And it's a, it's a real good book that's coming out this week, maybe tomorrow, I think. So. Okay, we're we'll, we'll we'll taking that. I'm working on the Family Secrets Tour with Frank, Cal Frank Calabrese Jr. We're going to give tours to Chicago, the crime Okay, we're going to be taking a little break in a minute, and then we'll come back. We've got some more time. I want to talk to you about the Johnny Frado book. Uh, but you're saying you live in uh, Illinois right now? Yeah. <laughs> in a farm. Now, how'd you wind up over there? 
Uh, my wife is from here and got married. She wanted she wanted to move back, and I was burnt out of California, Los Angeles. Like the movie, I, I figured out the movie business just wasn't for me. It just wasn't uh, the TV and thing. I just didn't like it. It's just not. Uh, I don't like writing like fake stuff, and just, it's you know it's all set down, and that's good for them. It's not good for me. It's not something I wanted. To do. Gotcha. Okay, so we'll be come back with with more of a, a Kenny Kenji Gallo. The book is Breakshot: A Life in the Twenty First Century of American Mafia. Uh, also, too, we'll be talking about his friend uh, Johnny Lou Frato's book, uh, uh, Now That I'm Dead: uh, All the Secrets from Johnny Lou Frato, uh, and about his Christian life. Now, I, I want to talk to you about that too, because I began. I listen. I was out there doing stuff too, and you know, I'm from Staten Island. I was, you know, <laughs> you can't, you know, you can't oh, avoid okay. it. You know, and uh, I'm a Christian now too. You know. And, um, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, yeah, absolutely. BetterLivedLives.com about his new life. I've been checking that out as well. A lot of great stuff in there, too, with the Kenny. What, do you like to be called Kenny or Kenji? Kenji. Everyone calls me Kenji. Kenji. It's just, it well, was my nickname before, and now it's just my name. So We'll be back with more Kenji right after these messages. Revival wants to buy them from you. So this is a sponsor that actually wants to give you money. And all you have to do is contact them, tell them what you have. If you're in the UK or Ireland or Africa, uh, these films are all over the world and they're gathering dust and they're going to deteriorate if they don't get into the hands of Archival Revival. So that's archival.revival at gmail.com or the blog spot is archivalrevival.blogspot.com. Don't forget, this show is brought to you by PSCoco.com. Phoebe Saad is an independent curator with the Cocoa Exchange. Uh, the Cocoa Exchange is formerly known as Dove Chocolate Discoveries, and they make the finest silky smooth chocolate 
because the products start with the best cocoa beans, which are tested for quality and flavor by expert technicians. The Cocoa Exchange offers not just premium chocolates, but anything from sauces and spices to brownie and cake mixes and even coffee and martini mixes. If you wish to treat yourself or someone you love to a sweet and tasty gift, then the Cocoa Exchange is the brand for you. So you go to PSCocoa.com, you click on the Shop Now button, you can see all their beautiful chocolates, you can order it right now tonight, it could be in your, your mailbox in a couple of days, or if you want to get into the chocolate, chocolate business, you want to be a, a chocolatier just like Phoebe Saad, uh, you can uh, click the Contact Us button, and you can learn how to get your own website, go into the Cocoa Chocolate Business, and uh, sell chocolate and make a little bit of money there. Remember, all these shows on Awake are brought to you by EmailRevealer.com. You can go to EmailRevealer.com and get a copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. Uh, but you also do all the kind of different services for you, an online dating service investigation. It's called an online infidelity investigation. And that's where you give us your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend's email address, and we trace it back to their online dating websites, and we return a list of all the dating sites that that email is registered to. We can expand on that investigation and uh, trace it back to porn sites, escort service sites, swinger sites, uh, even um, uh, gambling websites, and even prescription drug websites. If you think your ex-husband or something is addicted to prescription medication or uh, involved in an extreme uh, online pornography addiction, uh, we can produce a, a report for you that you can use in court. Adoption investigations. If you want to locate your birth parents or your, or your birth child you gave away for adoption, we can do, do adoption investigations for you. Asset searches for you. Locate bank accounts, uh, hidden uh, uh, assets, hidden properties, uh, hidden income, all different kinds of services in the asset search investigation. Email tracing. If you need to locate or identify somebody from just an email address, we can... Uh, uh, do an email trace investigation for you and all kinds of digital forensics, computer and cell phone uh, digital forensics where we can uh, recover deleted content from an email or a hard drive and produce a report for you that you can use in court. That's emailrevealer.com or you can contact me at Opperman Investigation. <laughs> resistance, high-profile court cases in the news, and interviews with expert guests and authors on these topics and more. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman. Okay, welcome back to the Opperman Report. I'm your host, private investigator Ed Opperman. We are here today, fascinating guest, uh, Kenny Kenji Gallo, uh, author of the book, uh, break shot a life in the 21st century American mafia. He's got a blog called breakshot.blogspot.com. Uh, yeah. And yeah, blogspot.com. And also another website called, um, uh, better lived lives.com. Kenny Kenji Gallo. So now Kenny, while you're there, cause a couple of things now, it, it seems like with your, yeah. your, your blog break shot, that you're still sort of tuned into the gossip. You're still talking to people. Did you manage to uh, uh, maintain relationships with a lot of these people, or did you cut off all ties? You know what it is? Uh, I, I maintained relationships with a lot of people. Um, I, 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 would, I don't really hang out. I do hang out with some of the guys that have flipped already. We're, I'm friends with guys that have flipped and changed their lives. And other people I talk to, um, because I would talk to them online, or I would just 
you know, they would email me or my phone number, they would call me. I mean, I'm not like in the life anymore. And like, and, and I don't want to hear, you know, they would just tell me gossip and everything yeah. on the street. And then I would get to know it. And then, uh, that's why I would write about it all the time. And, uh, and, but it's like the same people getting the same trouble over and over, you know, it's like, yeah, that is heartbreaking. You know, when you see a friend of yours from 20 years ago and they're still out there doing stuff, man, for nothing. Uh, when they had yeah. that big case in New York where it was the big roundup, like 100 guys, right? Yeah, and I, 127 I, guys. Yeah. yeah, I know. And I see an old friend of mine in there, and, and you're, you're watching. He was selling a union card for like $3,000, $4,000. And he's taken yeah. 10 meetings. with. There's 10 different people involved. He has to cut up all this money, all these different meetings. The guy's making nothing off this stupid deal, and, now, and he has to go to prison over it. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Isn't it, explain to people about that too. Like the, the the daily grind. These guys are such hustlers. They never stop going twenty four hours a day trying to hustle a buck. No, it's, it's we we call it the grind, being in the life. And what it is is you're, you don't get vacations. You're on twenty four seven. I was I lived in that world. You're always trying to hustle, and you like you have to have multiple streams of income, and you got to kick back a, a ton of it. Everyone's got a piece of it. You got a bunch of partners, but that's why you got to hustle so much. And you're just trying to stay, keep your head above water. Then when you get arrested, you got to pay for your attorney. Like I said, it's like bond. It's like money that just comes up. You got to maintain your monthly nut. Yeah. It's uh, and it's like this. Here's the, here's what I've noticed. It's easy when you're, it's easier when you're younger. But once you get old, if you don't have like a, a good source of income coming in, like a you know construction business, a restaurant or something, um, you're pretty much out there on your own, and you're brokester, and you're in trouble because there is no. Uh, retirement plan you know what i mean it's like yeah. it's a grind and it's it's pretty sad man you see these guys or when guys get out of prison they've been there for a long time and then the family doesn't take care of them man. it's like that's that's where it really started burning me out too like a lot of these guys would get out and they hey man they did the time they did 15 years I mean, you, you could have, one guy one guy that they told me hey, don't what are you doing i go i'm gonna give them a couple grand you know and they're like why that guy's a loser i'm like dude he did 11 years for you you know, he doesn't have anything, man. Maybe his kids need something for Thanksgiving, you know? Like, come on. And uh, I gave it to him anyway, but they got, got mad at me for giving it to him. What about you? When, did you have guys working for you that when they had a case, you would provide them with a lawyer and bail and stuff? Yeah, I paid I paid for everyone, okay. everything. All, I, gave my, I gave all my friends and the people that I was supposed to give money to all the time. Uh, more money than they deserved, I just cut it up. Because, like I said, really, you can't do much with it. Like, it's cool. It's like, it's cool to have. And like, you could do a lot of things when you have it. And it gives you like a, a, a sense of freedom. But look at it. I wasn't happy all the time. Man. I used to just, I don't drink and I don't go out and party. So I would wake up really, really, I go work out and I just walk around the streets and uh, maybe I go to a bookstore, buy a bunch of books, go watch a movie by myself. And then by that time, everyone would get back up and then I go do something. But I was like, always like unhappy. Man. It, didn't matter. it didn't matter what I had. I was unhappy. No matter where I was, I was in Miami, I was at the short club, it didn't matter where I was. I was always like looking for something and like none of my relationships were good. It's just all phonies. It's like on the surface. Yeah. Like, you know, from the outside. I hear you, man. I hear you. Now, now what about, uh, because I know you you moved to Illinois, but before that, where'd you go straight away? I I know you went to uh, Toronto, Canada, and then you were bouncing around different uh, units with the FBI, but where did you settle down after that? Back in California? No, I was, um, actually, I was in Idaho for, like, 18 months. Okay. And, like, I stick out in Idaho, like, really bad, you know, like, it's not for me. And um, I finally just signed out, and uh, 
I had never been on a vacation in my whole life. And so I was like looking around, like, where could I go? What could I do? I've never been anywhere. You know, I traveled a bunch of places, but only to commit crimes. You know what I mean? Like I never really like, took in the time. So I decided to go to Spain. And uh, while I was in Barcelona, I went to, you know, Barcelona, Madrid, and uh, stayed in Barcelona for a long time, and then Ibiza, and then I went to Italy. I traveled all over. Mm-hmm. But I was just writing my book and like training uh, MMA, Jiu Jitsu. And uh, I took my time and I was writing. And, uh, that's where I really started like really rethinking my life. And then I decided to come back and I came back to California. I went to, I started working in Los Angeles and then, uh, I stayed there, you know, until, and I, I did, you know, I did the documentaries, I did the movie business and I did all that. And, um, once I figured that wasn't for me, I just like, I started changing my life, started changing. And then when I was in LA, um, that's when I found Christ and it was, the, the, and like I always resisted it because I always felt like the cons that would come into uh, to when I'm locked up or the guys that would try to talk to me they're just like so phony you know like um, I just like saw through them and like I just always people were like whenever they get in trouble they're like oh you know I'm gonna pray and do all this stuff and mm. it just wasn't for me and then um, I was training an actor in California and I had gotten in an argument with somebody at the gym. And the actor goes, hey, man, let's go to lunch. And I'm like, hey, I got my lunch. He's like, oh, come on, just go. And we sat down, and he's a really cool guy, man. He's on one of my favorite shows. He was on my favorite show at that time, Friday Night Lights. Now he's on a big MMA show. And he's, like, talking to me, and he said, listen, man, you're a spiritual guy. You know, this other guy's a loser that you're fighting with. you got a lot going for you. And, you know, have you ever thought about uh, about Jesus and about church? And I was like, oh, no, now I'm stuck. I would have been stuck here for, like, an hour. Yeah. But I like this guy. Like, I like this guy. And the next thing he said to me was, he just told me his own story. That's it, right? And then he stopped. And then I was like, that's it? And then he just, like, continued on the lunch. Like, that was it. That was it. He never brought it up. And then it made me think, though. I was like, wow. You know, maybe he's right. And so that next week, I told my wife, hey, um, I'm going to go to church. And she came from a missionary family, and she'd grown up in the church, but she had, like, fallen off. And she's like, okay. And so we went, and uh, I went to San Marino Community Church in San Marino, and I remember pulling up, and I kept thinking, man, everyone there is going to know that I'm a fraud. Like, I haven't been to church since I'm a kid. You know, I used to go to Lutheran school, and I'm a Catholic. You know, you know, I did my whole thing. And uh, I go, I kept thinking in my head, everyone's going to know I'm a fraud. And so I was so scared, man. I was, like, actually more scared to do that than when I wore a wire or was one of the hit or anything else I've ever had. My legs were shaking. I felt like I might pass out in the parking lot, for real. Mm. And I actually got, got into church, and we sat down, and then the minute they started singing, I remembered all the words to the songs. I mean, I knew what they're talking about. And then, they, and then the, the scripture was like stuff that I, I, I recognized, and it started meaning to me. Like, And uh, it just hit me. And then like at that point, I just felt like everything was, all, everything was lifted off my, my shoulders. And then after that, I mean, my whole life changed. I mean, that night was it. And uh, I've never looked back. I mean, that's why I just couldn't be in L.A. I just couldn't be in that drag anymore. It just wasn't important to me about. Because I I got out of the life, but I was still involved with the money. Like, I wanted money. <laughs> I, I tell you, man, I love you. I love you. Let me ask a question. What uh, denomination uh, was that church? That's a community church. It, it was actually, it's actually a Presbyterian church. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. And what yeah. denomination are you in now? Um, I'm just going to a community church, like a Bible church. That's okay. what I go to now. Yeah, I, I got saved. Uh, it was about, uh, it was 1989, I guess it was, right? Uh, on my birthday. 
exactly 19 days ago on my birthday. <laughs> okay. Oh. Over there. And guess what, man? I was out on bail. Okay. The day I got saved. Okay. I wasn't able to go. I got saved on my birthday. Uh, uh, just getting out of, getting out on bail. Uh, so, dude, I tell you, we have a lot in common. What <laughs> you can imagine, yeah. you know, that's just beautiful. I love that. Now, um, uh, so now you're, you're in a church. Do you speak at churches as well? Yeah. I mean, I have just, I just, uh, the first thing I did, like when I was at, 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 um, at San Marino church, I just wanted to like go and fit in. So I used to go to Bible study and then, then like little by little, I would tell people like a little bit of my story. You know what I mean? That people were interested and I just tell them the more of it. And then now I speak a lot. Like I go to, um, I spoke at a couple churches. I'm, I'm going to start like when, when I have my book come out, but I mostly, I think uh, my ministry basically is like, is, so far has been just training people. And I meet those kids that, that might be on the edge. I meet a lot of them cause I'm like, go to MMA gyms and mm-hmm. I go to different uh, boxing gyms and I spar, but I meet these kids and they, uh, yeah, I just say I'm a Christian. I don't have to say anything else. And they see how I like, I, I, I don't have to preach to them. I just like, this is how I act. This is how my life is. This is how I change my life. Guys hear me on the radio. Like I was on Van Cow, whatever. I was on uh, Jason Ellis. They hear me and they they know. And I, I tell everyone, I'm a Christian. Even if they cut part of it out, some of it will get through. And some of the kids hear me and then I can help them. And I help people that, uh, you know, like change their lives by their eating in their, in their, in their house. And, they get, and that's what I'm starting to do. And like I'm going to be, I'm going to really gear up next year. I'm going to, I'm going to Israel next year, and then when I get back, I'm going to really start to um, really go speak and really get out there. I just don't want it's not like a business. I want to make it like, you know, because this is what I do. Like, this is what I believe. Like, everything I write, like, about change, do everything, it works for me. You know, so I'm just trying to say, like, hey, I can't guide your life, but I can show you how I do. Maybe it'll make your life better. Because I think a lot of people, since, you know, these guys think they have no hope. Yeah. They don't see a way out. And they think like, oh, if I become a Christian, it's going to be, everything's going to be okay. great. It's not. But I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Life's hard. But I know that, like, God's timing's perfect. I'm going to be okay. Like, it will all work out. And whatever, like, no matter how much I want something, it might not be right for me right now. It'll be something else will come along. It'll be better. I'm going to be fine. And it gives you that peace because it's not all yourself, man. You can't do it all yourself. And so now I'm going to, um, like I used to speak at colleges and I spoke at my, in Las Vegas, the library a couple times there, a big, 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 big events and like writers conferences. And I'm just like, I got burned out on it because I didn't feel like I'm helping anybody mm. Yeah, people are like writing about it and they're looking at it, but they're not like kicking in. Like when I'm like, a lot of people didn't like my book because I told the truth about these guys. It's grinding. The life sucks. It's no, there's no happy endings in port or the mob. Um, there's no old drug dealers. You know what I mean? There's a reason. It's not. It's not good, and you're not going to have a happy life. And I like I wrote uh, something on and, and on Facebook, and people got started attacking me because I said there's no success stories in crime. There's nobody. There's no success. And everybody goes, "What do you mean?" They start naming off these guys, and I'm like, "Pablo Escobar dead." You know, this guy like Anthony Ricardo. I go, "Yeah, he died. Like he's under indictment, basically." Is the, the feather here, you know, his daughter's an alcoholic, this, this, and this. And, like, there's no, there is no, they think money is going to bring happiness and success, and it doesn't. It's not about that. There's more. And uh, so I try to explain that to people, and people just get, they just don't like it. Like, they don't like the way I talk to my book. Look, I'm a professional fighter. I'm a professional kickboxer. I'm a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. 
unless you're like, I, I train with the top guys in the world, world champions. I've been in the ring with them. I've been in the game. Do you think that a normal guy like Teddy Persico is really going to, I mean, really, not going to happen? Not not today, not tomorrow, not in a million years. And they just don't understand, like, how much, like, a professional boxer, like, hitting you compared to a normal person who needs the difference. It's not even, it's, it's a joke. And they, like, when I talk like that, they get like, oh, you think you're like this. Well, it's true. I, it's not like I think, I just know. I, I train. If you train, like, three to four hours a day to overcome something, you're going to beat it. You know what I mean? And that's just, it's just that people just didn't like it. And they couldn't get that, like, uh, that I could write, but they didn't understand that, like, that they're like, oh, you work with Matthew. Well, Matthew never wrote a book. He's like a 22-year-old kid. Um, he didn't go to school for writing. We just looked at other books and other authors, like I like Cormac McCarthy and some other writers, and we just looked at how they wrote their book and stretched with it. Like, it's not rocket scientist. You know, science is easy. Just figure it out. You start looking, they grab our book, you can figure it out, and you just do it, and we did it. And now Matthew has a career. I have a career, like, I have a career ready screenplay. Yeah, so Matthew Randazzo, you hooked him up with Johnny Ferrato? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How did that work? Okay. So now, your next book is going to be about motivation, your Christianity, and how to stay yeah. out of trouble and how to uh, turn your life around, right? Yeah, basically how I ch- changed everything and about and about like my Christian journey and like and like how everything un, 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 you know unfolds in life. Yeah, like that. It's pretty much done. Um, it's all edited. I just I'm gonna add, I want to add like about five thousand more words to it. Just and I'm just trying to figure out how I want to end it. That's all. Okay, as soon as you're done, give me a call. We'll put you right back on the air. But now, are you familiar with the Daniel Fast? The what? I <laughs> see, man. I knew it. You, you got to look into this. It's called the Daniel Fast. It's from the Book of Daniel in the Bible. It's a, a Christian uh, fast, and uh, what you do? Twenty-one days, uh, uh, no meat, no fish, uh, no alcohol, no coffee, no cigarettes. Uh, Twenty-one days, just fruits, nuts, and berries. No, no white bread. No white rice. And I got to tell you, man, you'll feel stronger than you ever did in your life. And it's it's a great way to kickstart when you want to break through on something. I don't know if you do any fasting. I did a lot of fasting, a lot of fasting and prayer. Uh, But this is a a great way. If you want to kickstart a new chapter of your life, uh, someone, uh, Daniel Fast. uh, You can Google it, Daniel Fast. Look it up. uh, Great spiritual fast. The funny thing is that, like, like ninety percent of that stuff, everything you say—that's what I eat anyway. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't drink. I don't drink anything. I, I don't. I don't smoke. I don't do anything like that. I. Um, I just they, the only thing I would have to cut out would be meat, but everything else is that's a staple of my diet. That's very. How about you know, how about corn. coffee? So coffee, you drink what? coffee? Um. Well, yeah, I drink coffee, but it yeah. wouldn't be like like not a big deal for me. Nah, so. for me, that's one of my yeah. big problems. I start drinking coffee, I get so lazy. Uh, I, I start back again two weeks later. I feel like crap. I can't get up in the morning. Can't do crap. So uh, yeah, I've done a Daniel fast for a hundred. I think it was 130 days. I did uh, the longest time just wow. recently. Yeah, I know. I, I'm going to go back because I already feel uh, I'm losing it. Great stuff. Very encouraging stuff. Now, okay. Now tell us about what can we find in, in uh, Johnny Frado's book? Because that's not even out yet. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, it's um. Well, what is is like I when I was coming out with my book. I had done an interview somewhere, I don't even remember, and Johnny Pano contacted me, book was even out, and uh, he contacted me through, I think through Facebook or something, and then I ended up calling him, and then I met with him up in Beverly Hills, and he asked me if I could remove some people in my book, hmm. and well, since the book came in at 138,000 words, we needed to cut it down to like 30,000 words, that was pretty easy, because you know, it was just too big. So I ended up taking out the people that he 
wanted me to take out. They didn't really have anything to do with story anyway. I mean, you know, that's the narrative that I was telling. So I took him out, and then uh, I became friendly with him, and he was on Howard Stern, and then we just became, you know, friendly. And uh, I used to go, have, have, go eat with him, go, go up and have coffee with him, and uh, go hang out in Beverly Hills whenever I was around. And I used to go to his house, and then he wanted to write a book, and he was working with a guy named Neil Strauss, so I hooked him up with uh, Matthew Randazzo. And Matt, Matt, they became, they hit it off. They came down. Matthew did the book. And then Neil Strauss, um, his, his publishing uh, imprint closed. And then Johnny Fado didn't want to put out the book anymore. And then it was, it was like tied up, tied up. Like they, they owe the publishing company money for the advance. And then Johnny Fado passed away last year, two years ago. And when he passed away, they, um, Johnny Fado Jr., talked to Matt and they decided to, to, to buy it back and then put it out. And so it talks about Johnny Fado's uh, childhood, about how his dad, you know, was without Capone the whole life, like with Rocky Marciano hanging around all these people all the time, the Chicago outfit guys, his cousin, Rudy in the outfit and just all the stuff. And then all the way through Stern and all the stuff that John, all the celebrities that Johnny hung out with in California and even to Joey Merlino, uh, the boss of Philadelphia, came to Johnny's house in, in uh, Beverly Hills. So all that's going to be in the book. It'll be. It's, I think it comes out today. I'm pretty sure. Now, are you self-publishing these books through CreateSpace? No, my 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 other book came out through Phoenix Book. It's sort of Matt. Okay. Matt, Matt, Matt made a deal. We made a deal with Phoenix Books in in Beverly Hills, and my hardcover came out at Phoenix Books, and then my other book. Um, and then Breakshot came out um, with uh, came out through Simon Schuster in the mass market paperback, and then we had a lawsuit with uh, I can't really talk about, it, but I had a lawsuit. I won back my rights, and now I put it out on my own. Yeah, I, I always that, recommend that too because you're right, man. These publishers they yeah. take everything and they don't they don't give a correct accounting. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Well, here, here's the thing: when we went to the lawsuit, they they showed one thing to the judge. Yeah. Which is like really, really low weight. Listen to this. So I just go on Amazon. I just went on Amazon and I just looked up their author thing and I got the book scan numbers. And it was like 10 times what they, just on Amazon, what they sold. <laughs> 10 times. And the judge goes, Well, how'd you get this? And I told him, I got it from Amazon. Look, here, I'll show you if you really want. He goes, No, no, no. And he asked him, how, do he, how does he have this and you don't have. And they're like, Well, uh, uh, and he goes, You have six lawyers working on this and no one can tell me. Because, no, 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 no. So, yeah. I, I literally, and I have to tell you, this is how I'll leave it. Is I never got paid a dime. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it, it, I, I did. Later. If you're a so, guy yeah. that can get your own publicity, you know, if, you know, because if you, you know, if, you, if no one knows who you are, sure, you need a publisher to get the book out there. Yeah. But if you're a guy that can get your own publicity, you, you can call up anybody, get on on the radio. You, know, you don't need that for that, man. You know, you can turn down interviews. You know. So you don't need those well, guys. I mean, like I've, I've been on all these shows. I've been, I've been even been in Vogue. I was in Vogue. I got a six page thing in Vogue. Right. You know, I've been all, I've been, I've been to, uh, to Sweden. I've been on their TV. I've been on Swedish TV shows. I'm on the Sweden, Sweden did a documentary on me too. And, uh, yeah, I don't really need them anymore. And, uh, and besides this time, this, the thing is this, like I talked to my manager, my agent and, when they read the, my new book and they're like, oh yeah, this is really good. But you know what the problem is? And I said, what? And they're like, you're going to alienate 50% of your audience. You should tone down the Christian stuff. And I'm like, but that's who it's for. And I wanted, I wanted for the guy, I wanted for the 
guy that may be locked up or the person, the girl that's in a bad situation that aren't, isn't a Christian in a reason because of the subject matter. And they're like, wow, okay, this guy can do it. I can do it too. That's what I'm looking for. I don't want to, I'm not looking just to sell books. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing now. So I'm probably going to end up, unless I get a, a publisher that wants to do what I want to do and doesn't want to change it, then I'll just go through that. But I've had some, I have to be honest and I had offers and I'm going to look at them. Yeah, so. uh, but but that that is so true, and, and it really is heartbreaking that they do try and tell you to tone down the Christianity and stuff, which is a, uh, you know, you know, what the, <laughs> what are they kidding me? You know, and and all these people too, you you know, in your past, you talk about these the people in the porn business and these big gangsters and stuff like that. Yeah. When you look back at their lives now, they all had that emptiness. You know, they they just had an emptiness in them. Uh, you're always you you need something inside. Every yeah. single one of them have that, and you. And you don't understand, like, they, they want to cut this out. This is the most important thing. Every guy that I have, and I feel bad for it, man. Like, I actually pray for guys that I used to know that have passed away. I'm like, they were, they died not knowing yeah. any better. So. Now, now, you mentioned how Johnny Frado got a hold of you, and he asked you to take some names out of the books. Did any of yeah. your old friends and associates contact you as well and say, hey, come on, Kenny, can you, can you just drop my name out of the book because it's causing me headaches, anything like that? Well, some of my old friends and associates would, like, this is the deal. Like, I didn't hurt a lot of people. Right. Okay. I didn't hurt him in the book, and I didn't hurt him with the FBI because they weren't part of the investigation. I didn't, I purposely avoided them when I was wearing the wire. You know, like, you, you, you've got to use, there's guys that, there's, there's guys that really deserve it, and there's guys that don't. And, you know, there's people that are just stupid that just don't know any better. And they never did anything to me, and I didn't hurt them. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of people there. And there's people that, like, another friend of mine who became a, uh, he's a, he's a minister, a pastor down in Orange County. And he had, he was with the Medellin cartel. He's written his own book called, uh, uh from Christ or from the cartel to Christ. He's with the Medellin cartel. And he ended up, he was, he ended up getting indicted for selling a, a thousand pounds, a thousand kilos of cocaine. I think he got arrested selling a thousand kilos. And he was actually going to sell more, but they only caught him with a thousand. He didn't have enough truck, a truck big enough. Anyway, he did all like 17 years and he got out on parole and he had sent me like a bunch of pictures and I was going to put him in my book because he was a part of my life. But then because I had to cut it out, it just didn't fit into the narrative. And then later on, him and I met, which was pretty funny because we had El Pollo Loco, which <laughs> you might, you know what that is. Sure. And we used to go, we used to go eat at sushi. We used to both have Corvettes and, you know, pull up and be ballet park. So we're meeting at lunch at, uh, uh, El Pro Loco, we pull up, I, I have a truck and he has a truck. We just laugh at each other. We, we go in and we're sitting there and then he, then he told me, I didn't know that. He told me that he's a Christian, that he became a minister and uh, all the stuff that he's doing and I was like, wow. So, like, you know, it comes full circle but he was one of the guys, he's like, he didn't put me in the book. I go, yeah, I know he just didn't fit. He goes, thousand kilos of cocaine didn't fit. I go, yeah. You know, I, I, I wasn't sure if you are going to get killed for it so I, I just didn't want to do it. And so, yeah, there's other people reached out and I didn't put people in and you know, there's, there's things that I toned down in there for other people too. I got you. Now, now what about, uh, cause at, for a time you were back in California in Hollywood and LA and stuff like that. Did you run, bump into anybody that you had hard feelings with who, who came and said, maybe not going to pull out a gun and shoot you in the middle of a, you know, a street, but, uh, you know, they're going to give you a dirty look. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man, they're going to, they're going to complain to you and say, Hey man, you know, hey, you run into anybody like that? Well, well, I had I, I had two incidences. One, uh, I was at a restaurant on Sunset Boulevard called Craving, and uh, I was with a girl, and I was eating, and across from me sat down a guy from Brooklyn who's a neighbor of the Persico, street street guy, mm. and 
he looks at me and he's shocked. And then I, I told my girl, I go, oh, I'm just going to have a problem here in a few minutes, but I'll deal with it. So I, I, I slipped my steak knife into, uh, underneath my napkin and then, uh, and then his girlfriend got up to, to do it. And I told my girlfriend, go, go to the bathroom. And so I, I went up to him and I'm like, hey, man, we have a problem? And he goes, no, 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 not at all, man. How are you doing? He gives me a hug. And I'm like, oh, it's cool. You know, and he's like telling me what everyone else is doing. And I go, hey, as long as I'm here eating, you leave that phone on the table. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll be cool. And then I go, I don't care what you do when I leave. And he goes, no, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. And then I sat back down I, and we left. And guess what? He never told anyone that he saw me. Mm-hmm. And, and I would have heard it right away. Because, you know, they would have said, why didn't you do anything for me? Right. And then... Yeah, so he didn't. And then uh, the only other time was I was in L.A. and I was um, I was training someone at the gym in the in the ring. I was training two people actually, and a guy came up to me who's an actor, pretty well known, and he said, "Hey, I got to talk to you for a second. And I go, "Yeah, what?" And I lean down. He goes, "Hey, uh, your friend in Beverly Hills isn't happy about what you say about him." And I go, "What friend in Beverly Hills? I don't, you know, who are we talking about?" And he goes, uh, "Donnie Shack." And I go. Also him. I go, I didn't like him when I was on the street and I don't like him now. So he's got a problem with me. You know, uh, I'll tell him to come deal with it. And the guy goes, he doesn't even appreciate it. And I go, okay, if I see Dan, I'm going to spin the head real hard. He's like, he hit an old man. And I go, dude, he's threatening me. And then he walks away. And what he didn't realize is the two guys are standing are in the outside. And they, they heard it. Oh, great. wonderful. He made a problem for himself. Yeah, he didn't even need to. Right, and I go, and I told him, I go, I told the actor, I go, you're an idiot. They go, I go, they jackpotted you. They, they just, they, they, they got you to make a threat to a federal witness, you idiot. And so they wanted to press charge. Like, they're like, we're going to do something. I'm like, listen, don't. I like this guy. And the actor, he's just an idiot. And it's not a big deal. It wasn't a real threat. It wasn't like he was just passing a message. Yeah, he doesn't know. We got found. So he didn't, but that's, that was the only time. And then uh, that was it. Okay, and, and, nothing. Okay, and you still get uh, uh, tips and gossip and stuff like that in order to run the uh, the break uh, break shop. Yeah, I mean, like I talk to you know people on the street, and mm-hmm. I know a lot, like a lot of the guys. Like I said, and, and like it, it's hard, like for some of the guys to understand, like how I changed my life, and like how much, like I'm still like that same old guy. So talk to me, call me, and you know, work. What they're talking about, they don't consider like big news. You know what I mean? Like getting trouble, you know. So I'll be to tell them things. Okay. Um, now I, I saw too uh, on um, YouTube that you were uh, making out a statement for gay, being a gay activist for gay rights. Uh, yeah, that, that was before, and not anymore. Oh, really? Okay. Know? I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. 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 Um, well, here's the deal. I thought when they first wanted to get the right to, uh, they wanted the right to, to get married. I thought, okay, they're just going to go and they're going to, uh, they want to get like a civil union. Fine. Cool. But marriage is between man and a woman. Okay. That's, it's it. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. And I don't care who doesn't like me for what I'm going to say, but I don't really care. It's between a man and a woman. If you want to get a civil union, you want to be married, fine, but you can't force people to do stuff that they don't want to do. And that's part of religious freedom. It's part of the, and I don't care about the Supreme Court. It doesn't matter. It matters. I mean, the definition of marriage has been the same for thousands of years. Okay. You tell me, 
you show me an animal that, that can marry, there's, there's, they're not going to be procreating anymore. It's just not going to happen. And you can't force other people, you can't force your lifestyle on other people. And that's the problem. Like, I don't care that you're gay. Do you care that I'm a heterosexual? No. I mean, what am I going to do? Now, I'm going to go around and say, oh, I'm heterosexual, I'm heterosexual. No, it's your sexual orientation. It's not your race. It's not. No matter what anyone says, it's not. So, that's where I'm at with that. Okay, but would you exclude gays from your ministry? No, I wouldn't include them, but I'm not going to, but I'm not, I wouldn't get married. I wouldn't have them married or anything, but I, I have gay friends. I have a gay relative, right. but it, it doesn't mean that I, I'm condoning that lifestyle. It's their own lifestyle. They have, they, look, it's not my, it's not my job to judge anyone. It's not me. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not God. That, they have to meet their own maker and they have to make up their own mind at the end of all of this. Not me. So I love every human being like for what they are, a human being. I judge everyone like for what they are. But it's not my place to put my beliefs on them. Gotcha. And just like they shouldn't put their beliefs on me. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to go and like this. I don't have to see it constantly in the news and see it in, um, on TV shows and force down my, my throat when it's in reality, it's only 22 million people out of 350 million. So with, with, we gotta, you can't force your beliefs on me. Just like I wouldn't force, like this, if someone wants to be a criminal, man, you're gonna, like this, I don't like, I don't smoke and I don't drink. I'll hang out with you if you smoke and drink. That's yourself. I don't have anything against it. Like, you want to listen to me, whatever you want to do, that's up to you. It's just not, it's not what I do. I don't smoke and I don't drink, you know? Um, I prefer not to, like, watch stuff as, as a ton of profanity and it's just because I live that life and I just don't want to do it anymore. It doesn't mean that you're any worse than me. I'm not judging. It's like your own, you have to do everything on your own. You have to be responsible for yourself. I'm responsible for me. I'm in my own little shell. And the only person's life I can really, really change is myself. I can show everyone else how I my life. And if you want to do something like that, then that's good for you. But other than that, and, that, and that's the kind of thing that kind of makes me mad about some of the Christians too, when they put all this judgment. Right. You know, that, and that's what turns off people from, from, from church and from Christ is that the judgment. Immediately when you look at someone, you're like, oh, you're listening to rap, or you live this lifestyle. So, well, that's the kind of people that Jesus actually became friends with tax collectors, you know, bad people. Like, if you're already good, what, you know, we don't, you're not the person we're looking to help. So, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. Let, let me ask you this now, and it's a little bit uh, changing the topic. Um, okay. Because uh, originally, I, I saw a documentary about you. I'm not sure which one it was. It might be the one I watched today. Uh, it, it was a couple of years ago, at least four years ago. Uh, and I said, this guy would be a great guest on the show. And I, I sent you a Facebook friend request. And uh, then... And I, I, it was really weird. This week, I guess it was like Monday, I started thinking I needed a guest. And I said, you know, how about that guy, you know, Kenji Gallo? You know, he's an interesting guy. Maybe I'll contact him. But, you know, I was lazy. I didn't do it. And not even 15 minutes later, I get an email from Ted Rubenstein saying, hey, would you like to talk to Kenji Gallo? <laughs> it was like the same day, you know, out of the blue. Now, it's kind of yeah, weird. He, <laughs> okay. he, he emailed me out of the blue. Oh, Really? Yeah, like, no, we didn't have any conversation before that. He goes, hey, man, would you ever do Ed Opperman's show, the Opperman Report or something? And I'm like, um, I don't know heard it, but isn't that guy my Facebook friend? <laughs> and I looked, and you were. And I was like, uh, okay. I mean, I, I didn't know what, why he did it, but I thought maybe, like, you know, you you had something, like, you asked him to do or something, but I thought, like, I thought we were already Facebook friends. No, we were and Facebook then, friends, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then... 
and then he asked me, and then I, I just, I, I just said, yeah, and then that was it. And I just, like, I, I, was it last week or the week before last? I had done, uh, did Man Cow show in Chicago with, uh, with Andrew DiDonato, another friend of mine, and uh, he was in the Gambinos, and then Frank Calabrese Jr. And we had done that, and I was kind of mad about that because the guy just kept cutting me off, and he was just rude, and he didn't yeah. let me, didn't let us talk, and he's just making fun of us, kind of, and I just didn't like him. And so I was like kind of upset, but when he said, "Oh," and I looked up your thing, and I'm like, "Yeah, I do his way, way better, like more." And because I also saw like you had like this thing. I listened to one of them and said that you had conspiracy theories and stuff. And like, um, I know you got my email, Grassy Knoll. Right, that's what I was gonna say. And it says Grassy okay. Knoll, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Do you know? Do, do you know what that's about? Yeah, okay, JFK. I'll tell you, I spent. I spent thousands of dollars and I spent so much time like on my own of my own money. And this is when I'm still a criminal on researching the JFK assassination. Okay. Like I, I made it my goal to, to try to meet people that are involved. Yeah. And so I used to go to, I used to go down to, uh, it's a ziggurat building in Orange County to look at the Nixon papers and like look at all these papers to try to, to try to, uh, to, you know, just to figure out stuff and get connections. And so like I wrote like Chuck Harrelson, uh, in prison, Woody Harrelson's dad. You know, he killed Judge Wood. He sure. was supposed to be—he was supposed to be the assassin on the on the grassy knoll. I wrote him these letters. He wrote me back this cryptic stuff. Um, uh, I I went like when um, Russell D. Matthews got arrested in in Vegas for beating up Bob Stupak. I'm the one that told John Smith who he was and and how he was because Chuck when uh, when Chuck Harrelson got arrested for killing the judge, he was high on cocaine. He had Russell Matthews' um, card in his pocket. And um, Russell D. Matthews was the first guy that went and saw uh, Jack Ruby after he killed Oswald. Oh, really? And he was connected. Yeah, he was connected in Havana, and he ran a gang called the Holistic Green Gang, and, and uh, he was big time gambler, big time racketeer down in Dallas. Really connected to Carlos Marcelo. So I had and Chuck Kelsey was killed the judge on behalf of guys that were connected to Carlos Marcelo, and they and the and the. Um, they they um, had sealed all the court records for the case, the, the weed case, down in New Orleans in the Carlos Marcello case. He still haven't opened those records up when he talks about Kennedy. And what I was trying to do is I was trying, when I was still in the mob, is I was trying to get to get by the transcripts from Sam Scorantino because he was still alive. And I wanted to buy them. They had them in a garage and I wanted to buy all of them because it actually had the transcripts from them. And he ended up dying before I could get them, but that was my plan. So, yeah, I have like a big... Interest in that. Okay. So my... well, yeah, because, you know, Frank Sturgis, too, knew Marcello in Florida. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I've, I've had Frank Sturgis's nephew, uh, uh, Jim Hunt, on my show. He was the, the, the alibi for Frank Sturgis on the day of the assassination. And uh, he's been on my show. Uh, now, what's the story with Russell Matthews beat up uh, Stupak? For what reason? Uh, they got they got a fight because Stupak has something to do with the horseshoe or something after he was saying something bad about the Binion. Okay. Went into Piero's and beat him up one night. It's a in Vegas papers. It was a while back, and it, it's like a ninety-year-old man beating up another eighty-year-old man. Basically, is what it was. Yeah, that wasn't that but, long ago. No, it wasn't that long. And, and also, to wait a second, but uh, didn't uh, uh, Matthews have his two nephews with him or something like that when Stupak got got beat up? I think he had one of the bending kids with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was. But what it was is no one knew who Russell Matthews was first, and I'm like, oh my god! I got I told. I told. Uh, I told John Smith who he was. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know there was a connection with that. That Russell Matthews visited uh, uh, um, Ruby. And what, yeah. first of all, what did Harrelson's uh, uh, father say to you? 
He said that he was going to write his own book when he got out of prison, or if, when he won his appeal, if he got out of appeal, because he was in Supermax. And he said that, uh, I asked him a question, I asked him, like, uh, what kind of, like, soda he likes and everything, because they found behind the, behind the stockade fence in the grassy hill, they found some grape soda and stuff, and he said, grape soda. So, he wrote a couple other things, so I figured that, uh, uh, he knew what I was talking about. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he, look, at this, this guy was a, this guy was a, a, a sniper. He killed. He killed a sitting federal judge. He got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in Vegas at the Horseshoe in 1980, which is like a million and a half dollars today, up front. And they gave it. And those guys gave it to him because he was the shooter on the grassy knoll. Okay, his he was he's one of those he was one of the tramps that was there. His, his wife identified him at the time. He's they did one of those those facial recognition things. It, it's him. Well, so, uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with AJ Webman's book uh, on the on the three tramps? Uh, I think I have it. I think I have it, yeah. Yeah, because AJ's the first guy to find that uh, the stuff on the Three Tramps. And I knew AJ when I was a teenager in New York when AJ was selling hash and marijuana for the yippies. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. So all this comes in full circle. I tell you, this is pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Now, yeah, because and, and AJ's latest book, by the way, and I just did an interview just like two weeks ago. It's up in the member section. It's great stuff, man. What, uh, what about the Fleming, Jerry Fleming? Have you looked into him? No, but I'm going to tell you, there's one guy that's the, the real puzzle in this. And yeah. I, I tried to find him. I tried to find out anything about him, which is a, he's a real red haired Eugene Hale Brady. He got caught, caught at the, coming out of the Dow Tex building. And they, they, he, had a, he had an office in, a, in Marcello, uh, Carlos Marcello building in New Orleans. Really? He's, you know, a guy, he's supposed to be connected to the L.A. mob. And like this, I could never meet, I never met one person. I actually asked Pete Milano if he knew Eugene Hale Braiding or anyone named Braiding or anything close to that. And he never did. The guy who lived at La Costa, he died there. But I can never find anything on this guy. Eugene Hale Braiding. And listen, not only did he get caught outside of the JFK assassination, he got caught less than a mile away after Robert Kennedy got killed. Get out of here. Yep. Same guy. So that's. That's this is how much I like. I, I went out and I really investigated. Well, then what what is your theory? What do you think? Of, who were the the players involved in JFK? Uh, well, I think that uh, I think that the CIA hated him, and they and and the government hated him, like J. Edgar Hoover hated him, and the CIA like because the only person that could change the parade route would be Cable's brother, obviously in 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 in, in Dallas. I think Oswald clearly was. Worked for the CIA, and but he had connections to Carlos Marcelo through his uncle, and because you didn't, you couldn't just leave the Marines with no money. He had no money. He didn't make enough money. Get to Russia. How do you get there? Right. You take a plane. Okay. They never talk about this, and then defect, and then just come back with a wife and kid. You can't even do that now. We have open borders. Basically, not going to happen. So he comes back. They get him the job, and he's just in the right place at the right time. They use him as a chump. It's Carlos. They use Carlos Marcelo because he's pissed for being dropped off in the Guatemalan jungle. They some CIA guys down there. Like they ship, they sheep dip uh, Oswald down in New Orleans, heading out the spare place for Cuba stuff on purpose. Then, then Marcelo sets it up. They have a, they even have backup shooters, which is probably where Sturgis and the rest of them come in because you know they got to make sure it happens. Oswald probably didn't even fire a shot, man. I think that, you know, the actual shots came probably from the Dow Tech's building, and the other one the other one came from the grassy knoll, and that's the end of it. And then they got out of town, and, and uh, that was pretty much, that was it. And everyone else has died and, and uh, gone by down there. Never going to solve it. 
And and the other shooters, you think that Frank Sturgis was one of the other shooters? I believe it. Probably Crossfire, just like in, uh, you know, that's what Jim Garrison thought. Yeah. You know, I mean, David Ferry worked with the CIA, 100%, but he also worked with Carlos Marcello. He picked him up in Guatemala. Yeah, Jerry Fleming was one of the guys that was involved in. Uh, Jerry Fleming was one of the guys that was involved in uh, the Fair Play for uh, Cuba, uh, getting uh, Oswald involved in that. Uh, also, too, you know, AJ did another book recently called The Oswald Code. Where get this, he got exclusive copy of Oswald's uh, address book, his coded address oh, wow. book. Yeah, and he talked to Marita Lorenz because uh, he's friends with Marita, Marita Lorenz <laughs> still to this day. And he knew what names to look for, and all those names are in there, man. Uh, that's uh, that group that Fleming was in, yeah, that ICERN group that uh, Fleming was involved in. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's all in there, man. Uh, but there was one. Of the, oh yeah. Oh, you know who else I had on the show too that no one's else interviewed? A uh, Doug Caddy, who sat next to E. Howard Hunt uh, the day that uh, was sitting next to E. Howard Hunt in his office over there the day that Kennedy was shot, and also was the first attorney for the. Um, uh, what do you call it? The the Watergate burglars. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, how oh, much do you right. make of all that? Like the connection with the Watergate burglars and, and JFK and stuff. It seems to be the same group over and over again. It, it, the, it, yeah, it's the same. It's the same group. The plumber. It's the yeah. same group of people. It's the same thing. But it's like back then the CIA could get away with it. It wasn't all this like people like just giving up information like they do today. It's like they could actually keep the secret. So they were tight. And uh, it is the same group. That's why I wanted those Nixon papers so bad. I yeah. wanted to know, you know, what what Nixon was involved in. And uh, what about like, Iran Contra? Have you looked into Iran Contra? No, not really. Not not as no. Like I was really, I heard a lot of it about the cocaine dealing and everything else. I mean, uh, you know, who I used to know was uh, Sal Reali. Who I've done a couple of things. Well, I no, I went with uh, Freeway Rick Ross and some other people like that. Okay, I had Freeway Rick Ross on the show. What's your connection to Freeway Rick Ross? Um, I know that I knew the Blancos, and he and he was and he knew Griselda Blanco, and I met him through the Blanco kid. So that's how I met him. So you met him before he got arrested? No, I met him afterwards. After, after he got arrested, okay. I, I was I was I was somewhere when he when he talked to her on the cell phone, so I know that he knew. Okay. Because I talked to her the same day, so I know. Yeah, it's, was a, it's a small world, you know. It, it really it is. is. And it's, 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 uh, it's it's the same players, and if you really look at it, it's like the same people. Yeah, yeah. Because even Sturgis was involved in uh, Iran Contra too. Uh, and uh, I tell you, over and over, man, same freaking guys over and over. It's just amazing. Hey, let me ask you a question. This is a crazy question out of the yeah. blue, but it's on my notes here. Uh, what do you think of this take a knee business? Oh well. I think it's garbage. Really? I mean, because, yeah, I mean, look, here's the deal. I was a criminal. I'm this and that. But uh, first of all, I, get, I was in the system pretty much my whole life, over 20 years. Never met an innocent person, not one time. Not once. <laughs> never. Never. Never met an innocent person incarcerated. Never met an innocent criminal. They all brought themselves. Listen, listen to this. I ran crazy. I shot people. I carried a gun. I blew people up. I did all kinds of stuff. I never got shot by a cop. Want to know why? Because I comply. They kicked in my door. The DEA kicked in my door. The FBI kicked in my door. You know what I did? Sat there. Dealt with it. Let my lawyer deal with it. I got a complaint. And the reality is this. Okay, first of all, black people commit 67% of all homicides in the United States. That's a fact. 
and they're like they're a, a small small percentage of the population. They kill. They actually the chances of them getting killed by a white guy are very slim. They actually it's mostly black on black crime. Second of all, it's not cops. There's only like there's like I think was it four or five hundred black people like killed by cops a year, and only a hundred of them or seventy of them are unarmed. And out of those unarmed, they count guys with a knife that are unarmed. So it's it's crap. And people, you know this that if someone is like if someone has a knife or a weapon and they're under twenty feet from you, before you could pull out that weapon, they could come and slash you and kill you. So you have a split second to decide that. And it's it, look at. And what is black is now the only race? Look at me, man. I'm half Japanese. Where do you, my dad was in a prison camp because he's, and he was an American citizen, but because he's of Japanese descent. In 1944, you know, in 1941, he went in there and his whole family did. They lost everything. None of them complained. Not one. None. But you just have to get up, man. It's not a systematic oppression. If it was systematic oppression, the little guys wouldn't be making $10 million a year on that thing. It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. You wouldn't be playing a child game and getting paid that kind of money. It's not oppression. Okay? If anything, it's unfair to everyone else. Okay? Let's see. You can get into Harvard with an 890 SAT score, but if you're Asian and you have to have a 1600, how's that? If you're white, you got to be way up there? I mean, come on. That's not fair. That equal opportunity is not equal opportunity. Equal opportunity means like this. You take a test. You want to be a fireman? You take a test. I take a test. We both get the, the highest score. They throw it in a fishbowl, they pull it out, that's who gets the job. That's what my thought is. Okay, well, we're running out of time. Let me ask you this. What, do you, yeah. what's, what can we find on the Calabrese tour? What, what is that about? Um, it's, just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tour of Chicago crime scenes and like where the gangsters used to hang out, like in the outfit, more current than like the Untouchables tour and like um, those kind of things. Like... Uh, you know, just all the, the, the hot spots around Chicago that where famous things happen. Yeah, I, I had a guy on a show about the Chicago tours. Uh, I forget what it was. Uh, it was a while back. I think it might be in the member section. And uh, what about the Mob Museum here in Vegas? you ever do anything with that? Um, I did. I did. The, one of the reasons why I came in was they were doing something in Chicago. I, I, when I did one of the library tours, I went and I did something at the, at the one that's at the, it's at the hotel. It's not actually the one that's off the strip. It's it's on the strip. It's in a hotel, which it's one of the hotels. What's the name of it? It's, uh, it was the last one that Chicago controlled. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Tangiers. No, it wasn't yeah. Tangiers. Yeah, it has a big pool, pool outside. Uh, well, they all do. Yeah, Flamingo, yeah. Flamingo. Uh, I forget. It was the one where they controlled the spot, Tropicana, maybe. Tropicana, okay. Yeah, and uh, we went and did something there. There's a mob museum there, and then and then Andrew was doing a signing at the mob museum in Vegas. And I was doing That's the only thing I ever did out there. Okay, so when you were here in Vegas doing your stuff, you were uh, did you ever run across Frank Collada or Tony Spilaccio? No, but I know Frank Collada, uh, Frank Collada afterwards. And I was yeah. I was after them. I was uh, I was with the Herbie Blitzstein, uh, Jimmy Cachi, and the whole LA guy. Have you ever heard the story that uh, possibly Tony Spilaccio was involved in the murder of Marilyn Monroe? No, I've never heard that. Yeah, you got to look into that. That's that, that, there might be something to that, man. <laughs> there might be something to that. You know, uh, it's this. There's some pretty good uh, connections to that. Uh, and what'd you come up with RFK? You look into that. Just that the, the only thing with RFK, I was like, you know, I just it did treat me that you think how breeding two places it's coincidence and impossible. 
and uh, the fact that, you know, eight shots were fired at the six-shot revolver from Sir Hans yeah. Hans. So, yeah. I mean, after Rosie Greer tackled him and RK got shot in the back of the head, you know, I don't know how that happened. And then they they uh, they tore down the whole door jam and all the the doors and stuff like that, and then tore down the whole landmark uh, hotel, uh, you know, yeah. historical building. You think they would would have kept it up, but they, they tore that down too as well. We're almost almost out of time. What do you want to leave us with? Uh, uh, Kenny Gallo, break shot, a life in the twenty first century mo- American mafia, and the other blog is um, what's that? The, better live lives. Better, better live lives. lives. So, what do you want to leave us with? I'll leave you that look, man. I lived this life. I did it, but everyone can change. Change is out there. You can do it. You can change your life. Salvation is out there. It's there if you want to do it, and it's not too late. Okay. Can, and you got any appearances coming up? Uh, nothing right now. No. Just I'll be at the, I'll, I'm going to do the Family Secrets tour with Frank. I'm going to actually help him out, so I'll come and go on the bus a couple times. I'll be there. Okay, great. And uh, Kenny, thank you so much, man. Okay, and as soon as the other book is ready, uh, give me a call. We'll put you right back on the air. I will. Thank you. Take it easy. Okay, well, there we had uh, Kenny Kenji Gallo. And the book we were talking about is, let me pull this up here, Break Shot, A Life in the 21st Century American Mafia. Uh, He's going to be doing this uh, Calabrese tour there in Chicago. You could find that. Uh, and then um, new book coming out about his uh, new life here in Jesus Christ. BetterLivedLives.com It's really uh, interesting the way that uh, fate kind of put us together there with uh, Ted Rubenstein. <laughs> you know, because like I said, I was looking for a guest and uh, suddenly... I, mean, I was thinking about this guy. I said, you know, maybe I should get this guy on today. And, uh, you know, I should contact him. But it was it was kind of like a guy who I just had uh, just sitting in the back burner. You know, like just one day I'll get a hold of this guy and we'll try him out. Um, I figured he'd always be there. But the good old uh, Ted Rubenstein contacts me the same day I was thinking about him. Very interesting. I, I hope that he puts in his book uh, some stuff there about uh, uh, the Daniel Fairs. It could be the perfect uh, fitting end to his book. Uh, kind of interesting hearing these old stories from New York. Here a bunch of that junk coming up. Oh, by the way, too, like I said, coming up next week, we was talking about uh, Johnny Lufrato uh, from the Howard Stern Show, which is how I knew him from. Uh, next week, we have Jackie the Joke Man, Martley, uh, coming up during this uh, airtime on American Freedom Radio. I think I got him for two hours. When he first started talking to me, he said he wanted to do two hours, and he would do another tape segment, too, afterwards. So I think we have a lot of content we could talk about with the, uh, Jackie the Joke Man Martling. Uh, also, too, just right minutes, seconds before airtime, I got an email from someone I've been trying to contact for a while. Uh, and I, I know a lot of people would be excited about this. If you've ever watched uh, the YouTube series called Program to Kill, uh, the Satanic Cover-Up, okay? Uh, it's an excellent series. It goes on for about 20 hours long, and it covers every big uh, serial killing case and uh, connections to motorcycle gangs and satanic cults that have been covered up. Uh, fascinating stuff. And I contacted the um, producer of these YouTube videos about a, two years ago, three years ago, and I just got an email from him today, uh, minutes before doing the show, saying that he wanted to uh, come on the air with me. So I'm probably going to tape with him. Uh, several hours because there's so much content to go over 
different shows, uh, different uh, different cases and, and stuff like that. So we, we can definitely do the guy's on twenty hours worth of content. Uh, so I can definitely do at least with him at least six hours. Uh, so we'll be doing a series of shows with him if he'll give me the time. And this is uh, the guy's died as far as I know. He's done zero interviews. So we have that, but don't forget the member section at OppermanReport.com. Okay, uh, and I'm I'm working on a, a special. I'll give you a special right now, thirteen months for sixty five bucks. Okay, and you get thirteen months. There's two new shows up there. One is this woman Kimberly. I forget her full name, but uh, good old Kimberly there, whose father and uncle were involved. And not just the Zodiac. Everybody can be related to the Zodiac. Okay? Her name is Kimberly Sturgell. Uh, but everyone can, anybody can be uh, related to the Zodiac. She's also related to the uh, Escape from Alcatraz guy. I think his name was Morris. He was played in a movie there by Clint Eastwood. So she's related to both of these guys. That's in our member section at OperaReport.com. If you just want to sign up monthly, you know, it's like six bucks a month. You can just go there and sign up for monthly. But if you want to get a discount, a big discount, a big deal for me, uh, what you do is I'll give you 13 months. Uh, it's only 65 bucks, but you got to contact me directly at PayPal, uh, OperaReport at gmail.com. And I'll send you a PayPal invoice. You pay me through PayPal. Then I'll set you up there on TinyPass. Then TinyPass doesn't get a, a a commission on that I get to keep all the money so that's why I can afford to give you that discount and it helps support the show I do a lot of hours here week after week after week uh, you get five hours of content each week um, and that's it's an, and on top of that you know in the member section you get at least another couple hours uh, you know in the member section there too uh, different content I want to thank Danny American Freedom Radio good night so there's a lot of great uh, additional content there in uh, OppermanReport.com. Like I was just telling uh, Kenny, Kenji there, Gallo, um, about uh, the new stuff we just put in there with A.J. Werbman, who's pretty much an exclusive guest. You know, if you look around, he doesn't do a lot of interviews with anybody. He barely tolerates me. <laughs> if he, he's probably, he really hangs up on me at the end of the interviews when I do it with him. So, but I, it was, because of my childhood like, association with him, I guess that uh, he takes pity on me and uh, allows me to uh, <laughs> to bother him. The first time he comes on, he's making French fries. He has to go because his French fries are ready. And this time he's got to feed the dog. See, he runs, he's got to feed the dog. But I tell you, this is gold. The stuff we have with him is gold. And, and in the member section, there's so much stuff there uh, historically, the, uh, a witness to the Arliss Perry murder. Uh, the, so much stuff there, yeah, especially this JFK stuff, which is so exclusive that no one else has. Uh, you know, so if you can want to support the show, it would be a big help to help support the show. Or you just want to send a donation, OppermanReport at gmail.com. Things are really, really tight right now this month. Uh, you know, we're barely making it to the end of the month. And, uh, you know, I got to spend all this time uh, doing these shows. But, you know, I do enjoy it. And good old Kenji Gallo there today. Uh, there's some things I want to talk to him off before we bring it up on the air. Uh, so I'll definitely have him back. And I definitely disagree with him about the, the take and eat business. I'll be doing a whole show about that Friday night. Uh, show coming up with the uh, the congressional candidate, Amy Valella, which I'm going to be playing her entire interview that I did with her about the death of her daughter. Uh, so that's going to be taken out of the member section and put on air. And then another one is um, with Dr. Noel about his theories about uh, health care and stuff like that. We'll be talking about that. So a lot more coming up. Let's see what I got here. Kind of running out of things to talk about. Let me play a little uh, 
couple little ants. Remember, all these shows on Awake are brought to you by EmailRevealer.com. You can go to EmailRevealer.com and get a copy of my book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. Uh, but you also do all the kind of different services for you. An online dating service investigation is called an online infidelity investigation. And that's where you give us your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend's email address, and we trace it back to their online dating websites, and we return a list of all the dating sites that that email is registered to. We can expand on that investigation and uh, trace it back to porn sites, escort service sites, swinger sites, uh, even um, uh, gambling websites, and even prescription drug websites. If you think your your ex-husband or something is addicted to prescription medication or uh, involved in an extreme uh, online pornography addiction, uh, we can produce a, a report for you that you can use in court. Adoption investigations. If you want to locate your birth parents or your, or your birth child you gave away for adoption, we can do, do adoption investigations for you. Asset searches for you. Locate bank accounts, uh, hidden uh, uh, assets, hidden properties, uh, hidden income, all different kinds of services in the asset search investigation. Email tracing. If you need to locate or identify somebody from just an email address, we can... Uh, uh, do an email trace investigation for you and all kinds of digital forensics, computer and cell phone uh, digital forensics where we can uh, recover deleted content from an email or a hard drive and produce a report for you that you can use in court. That's emailrevealer.com or you can contact me at oppermaninvestigations at gmail.com. You can have your ad played here at oppermanreport.com every Friday night, 5 p.m., uh, and Saturday night, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And on Friday nights, too, we do a live portion for one hour that I just do a live monologue. Uh, the ads are very, very inexpensive, and they're also played in the Opperman Report member section. Uh, in the member section, you can find all kinds of exclusive content that you won't find anywhere else. It's as cheap as $6 a month, $20 a quarter, or $75 for a year. If you contact me directly at oppermanreport at gmail.com, I'll set you up with a little special deal there uh, where you get a discount if you PayPal me directly and you even get a copy of my book. Uh, I want to thank Sean Duff from strawman.com. He runs the website. He runs the, uh, the, the, the member section. And I also want to thank uh, William Ramsey, uh, who helps us to uh, produce the show and book guests. You can find uh, Sean Duff at strawmanmusic.com. He's an excellent musician. You can find William Ramsey, who's an excellent uh, uh, author, at uh, William Ramsey Investigates on YouTube.